everybody, and welcome to Movie Mumble. Movie Mumble is your monthly movie discussion podcast where four friends watch movies and talk about them together. And that's about it. Yeah, nothing else. We're not interesting. We're not funny. Go listen to another podcast. Uh, no, okay, it's a been a minute assholes. since we've done one of these. <laughs> there are no rules about what films we can pick. We can pick anything foreign or domestic, live extra animated, something we've seen before or never seen. We all take turns picking. We all love to discuss them. We get more out of our films when we share them with our friends who also hear about films. We like to enhance the experience together and enrich our lives through company, even digitally. Each of us takes turns picking, and we announce what we're watching next month at the end of each episode, so you can watch along with us if you'd like. And we spoil everything we talk about, so if you're worried about that sort of thing, please watch a movie before listening to its episode. I'm joined today by my friends, who are, or were, or will be my friends for who knows how much longer, Joel Lewis. Yeah, hello. <laughs> Tim Gerard. Hello. And Zeke Perez. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Zeke's going to go so bizarro this episode. I didn't even think about it. Oh, no. That's my one, and then I'll get you at the end, and then that's all the bizarroness. This month, Tim was our movie selector, and as some of you may have already guessed from our dumbass jokes, he brought us Tenet, the time-twisting adventure action movie from Christopher Nolan. Tim, do you want to talk more about why you picked Tenet and how you first discovered it? Yeah. So um this and is what uh, you think the plot was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so this kind of starts this goes all the way back so you know on if you've listened to other uh episodes of the podcast you know that I'm a huge huge fan of um Darren Aronofsky. And back in the day when I first kind of got turned on to him, uh Christopher Christopher Nolan was kind of parallel with that cuz it was in my time working at Blockbuster and that was when Memento had just come out. And I saw Memento and I loved it and I was like, "Oh my god, this is incredible, like incredible filmmaking, incredible storytelling." Um and it was around the time I think that Requiem for a Dream had come out. And so I went back and I was like, what else have these directors done? So I went back and I watched Pi and I watched Following. Um, and I will say that um, between Pi and Following, I loved Pi more. But between Memento and Requiem for a Dream, I loved Memento more. So, so I kind of was like, all right, I need to follow these two directors. And then as they kind of went on... Um, you know, Christopher Nolan, I, I don't, I, I don't want to say like I lost interest in him, but I feel like the, the things that I originally loved about Memento, I didn't really see them present in some of his other films. And that was one of the things, you know, his next film was Insomnia, which a lot of people, I remember one of my, one of my friends at Blockbuster saying like, oh, when you have a, a successful new director, the three things you don't do are give them a big budget, give them, you know, hella star actors and uh you know have them do a remake of a foreign film and then he did all three of those for insomnia and it was just kind of like oh what what is this which it was a good film but um i kind of wish i had seen insomnia before i had seen memento and been like all right that was kind of neat what else has this guy done um so then along the way you know it's like i feel like there was a lot of back and forth for me with uh with christopher nolan you know like when he started doing the dark knight trilogy it was like oh this is great you know um, he's, he's going to be the new Batman guy, you know, like, and then kind of jumping out of that into other things, um, losing track of everything. Oh, I think, uh, Inception was the next thing I think after the Dark Knight trilogy or maybe in between where it was like, oh, this is really cool. Like these, these ultra cool visuals. And I, I kind of felt like, oh, we're getting back into that sort of, um, you know, that, that indie 
uh, Christopher Nolan, who who's this really interesting, complex storyteller. And that, that was my favorite thing about Memento was how complex the story was and that, you know, he had done the whole telling things out of order the way um, Quentin Tarantino did with Pulp Fiction. But there was a reason for why he told Memento the way he did. And it was sort of married to the story. And that was the thing that I loved about it. It wasn't just, hey, let's be quirky and cool and tell this story out of order. Um, so I thought that was brilliant and then kind of not really seeing much other, um, much other aspects of that in the way he told the story until we got to inception where then we're dealing with, Oh, the farther you go in dreams, the slower things are. And this, and I was like, okay, like, yeah, now we're getting back to that. Um, you know, he's manipulating the way the story is being told because of the, the subject matter. Um, so I really liked inception. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of what came after inception. Uh, maybe it was interstellar. interstellar. Yeah. Maybe it was interstellar. Um, just saw that it was kind of cool, but I think the, the scope of it, it, it got a little too big for me and it was kind of like, I didn't really know what I was supposed to be paying attention to, but then also it's like, well, there's this kind of father daughter story at the center, but I feel like it was, it was so big outside of that, that I kind of lost touch with the father daughter daughter kind of part of the story. And then it was the whole also like, I won't spoil it for anyone to see, but like the ending was just kind of like, I don't want to say I saw it coming, but when it happened, I was just kind of like, really, you did that. That's what, that's what this was all about. Okay. I guess. Um, so coming back around to tenant, I was like, you know, I, I, you know, I want to see this, you know, I guess I heard that there were a lot of bad reviews. I didn't know about any bad reviews. I just never got around to seeing it. And then it was on HBO and I was like, okay, let's like, this is another, you know, Christopher Nolan film. I feel like I've been kind of hot and cold with his stuff. So this one might be good. Um, and I just, I loved it. Like I love that. My first thought was, you know, this is the same director that made memento but he's all grown up now like he he learned from this whole arc of all his other films like all the things he did right all the things he did wrong and it was it was sort of that that culminating project like that started with memento and i guess you could say started with following because that had elements there are elements of following that are also told in reverse but i don't think they were as integral to the story as they were in Memento. But then with this, and also the fact that he returned to this idea of, of, of time and messing with time, um, you know, uh, not, not so much, I mean, Inception kind of dealt with time, but it was more the speed of time, whereas this dealt with time going forwards and backwards, which was at the core of Memento also. So I was just like, yes, like this is kind of like, you know, every, like I said, everything he learned, everything he did wrong, everything he did right, he, he kind of put that into Tenet. Um, and I will say too, that watching it the first time, I was confused a lot of the time as far as like following exactly what was happening. Um, but I, I kind of like, didn't care, you know, it was one of the few examples where I was like, well, if I don't get it, I'm losing interest. It's just like, I, I just kind of went along for the ride and I'm like, I'm just gonna, kind of look at what he's showing me and kind of just take it all in. And then probably I'll have to watch this again, but it's like, that's what I used to love about films. I used to love kind of by the end of it, you're like, Oh man, I kind of got about, you know, 70% of that, but I need to go back and watch the other so I can catch the other 30%. Um, so, so it was really, it was good. It was, I, I enjoyed the fact that by the end of it, I wasn't like, yes, I processed a hundred percent of that film and I'm satisfied and I can move on with my life. Like I liked that. I wanted to dig back into it. Um, and, and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to, to bring it to the podcast was because, you know, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to talk to someone about it also. And, you know, also because I feel like we, we've all kind of had relationships with different Christopher Nolan films and, you know, kind of, they've kind of come in and out and, um, 
you know, I, I thought it was interesting, or at least, you know, um, we're all at least aware of some of his stuff to some degree. So it's not like, oh, I'm bringing this weird ass director, uh, you know, no offense, Joel, <laughs> bringing this weird ass director to the podcast. No one's ever wow. heard of. Let's watch this <laughs> film. <laughs> Wait, which which film are you referring to with that? Like the Helps. last five. <laughs> they haven't been fucked up. <laughs> if you Not want theory. fucked Not up, I'll bring funny games. Like if you want yeah. fucked up, we could get there. You've been threatening <laughs> slash promising. Oh, You've been getting off easy, buddy boy. Oh wait, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I'm looking at Nolan's IMDb page. Uh, and also, I keep forgetting this is one of his films, but The Prestige. Oh, yeah, oh, that's shit. right. That's right. Yeah. That's an early one. Didn't Inception it's... predate Dark Knight? Nope. Uh, Batman really? Begins in 05, Prestige in 06, Dark Knight in 08, and Inception in 2010. Crazy. Yeah. But uh, do you want to do the plot overview for Tenet, Tim, or do you want to have one of us do that or, um, yeah, I, I <laughs> or mean, do you want to just let I it can... emerge as the podcast goes on i'll try i'll try to simplify it um sure. <laughs> i mean especially <laughs> since we're since we're gonna we're gonna spoil it anyway I, I won't i won't tell it linearly so it's basically about this 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 core guy they call him the protagonist um he's sort of gets kind of lost up in this whole like something there's some threat i think he was he was in the cia took the cyanide pill. It didn't actually kill him. It put him in a coma. And they're like, well, you're dead now. So you're not a CIA agent or you're, you're off the books. So he gets recruited into this whole, um, you know, th- there's some threat, there's some organization that's, that's running a, a uh, um, you know, a group of people to sort of try to prevent this threat. He doesn't know what it is. All he knows is the word tenant and the, this hand gesture that uh, the guy tells him, you know, basically just to kind of send him on his way, which, which I love that, you know, it's, I mean, you're not going to see that in the podcast, but if you've seen it, you know, what we're talking about. Um, so, so as he's kind of going through and learning more and more about this, you, you basically realize that, yeah, there's something messed up with time happening. They reveal that there are people in the future who are learning how to sort of manipulate things and invert objects and, and send things back and back through time. And, you know, we, we find out that there are these, uh, I wouldn't call them I don't know if they, uh, what do they call? It? I think they call them a turnstile, where you basically go in and you come out the other right. the other side, and you're you're reversed. You're coming out like reversed in time, um, and that's sort of you know a, a big plot point to how they're kind of moving through this. And what the threat ends up being is there was this machine made in the future that they sent back in time to sort of try to protect the Earth from, and uh, this one asshole wants to use that machine to basically destroy the earth where it will like sort of reverse time so that, you know, and that's where the hand gesture comes from, where it kind of basically like smashes in on itself, like taking the time that's going forward and, you know, reversing them so that uh, I guess, you know, kind of like they cancel each other out. Basically he wants to end the entire universe because he's dying of pancreatic cancer. And, you know, his, his wife realizes that, you know, when he tells her, if I can't have you, no one can, he re- she realizes that he feels the same way about the entire universe and existence, that if he can't live in it, no one gets to. So they're trying to stop him from annihilating all of reality. Um, and the, uh, you know, one of the main points of this is that there's, they, and they bring this up uh, three times, which I also think is very brilliant. And also the way this kind of grows, that they're doing a shit what was the word the uh, um it's one of those words for time when they're doing the the, the pincer move what is it a, a um uh, um oh temporal. temporal temporal thank you yeah temporal pincer move so there are three points in the story where there's this thing happening that is both 
uh, there are people interacting with an event, both moving forward and backwards through time, sort of coming together at this this key point. Um, you know, one of them being this little, uh, uh, basically the villain kind of does one and it's kind of he, how he steals this part that he needs for this machine to end all of existence. And, um, you know, that's when it's first mentioned like, oh, this, you know, and I guess it's a military term to do a pincer move where you're kind of hitting at a target from two different sides. So they're kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, fuck, they're coming out from all angles, exactly. but they're doing that through time, forward through time and backwards through time, which I, which I think is brilliant. So then later on, they do a, a temporal pincer move that the, you know, the good guys. And then later on, you know, at the end, you actually find out that this whole thing has been one giant temporal pincer move that led all the way back, basically back to the beginning of the film that was run by the protagonist and started by him in the future. Um, again, I said I was going to spoil the ending. So, so yeah, so that, that on top of everything that there, there's just this sort of time kind of built on, on, on top of itself and you kind of see, this plot kind of playing out, but realizing, yeah, that it's also being manipulated from the beginning with people moving backwards to kind of do one job as people are moving forward through time. And, you know, the people who are planning it in the future are taking into account how things have happened and how they need to go back and interact with it. Um, And it's super complicated, but like everything that I saw the first time through, I was like, you know, again, I was like, I don't really get all that's happening here, but I don't know that I'm supposed to. And then on rewatching, you definitely pick up more things. You see like, oh, okay, this is how this side is interacting with this side. Um, sometimes it gets confusing because they'll have similar uniforms on. So it's like, you don't, you, you either don't know which, which team you're looking at because the team moving forward will have a red band, the team moving backwards have a blue band. Uh, so you don't know what team it is to see the band, but then you also don't know which person it is. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so the main thing is like this, this, this is probably one of the biggest doomsday thing. I mean, even Thanos only wanted to kill half of the universe. Like he wanted to kill the entire universe. So it just really ups the ante there. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, it, it it's, a, you know, a story that again, like has elements that are told forward as there are also elements going backwards or elements that, that don't make sense at the beginning that makes sense at the end when you see them from a different perspective. Um and you know they they save the day, but we still get the we still get the idea that there's more of a threat kind of going into the future. Like their work isn't done. There's still more to be done. Mostly because you know this kind of whole thing started from in the future, so um, they need to. I guess I'm assuming get to that point before they can say, okay, yes, we completed our temporal pincer move. Um, but yeah, that's that's tenet in as 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 tidy as a package as I can put it in without you know going into the details, which um, which honestly are my favorite parts. You know the 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 little details, the little again the ways he told this story, um, the 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 how closely he must have had to like look at every detail and, and carefully plan everything to be able to execute this to be like you know to start with an idea of like hey what a guy what about a guy who wants to destroy the whole universe by you know sort of sending time back against itself to crash in on itself how do we do that how do we tell that story and and i think he fucking did it you know and it's it's great and i love it and i love i love the big picture aspect of it and i love all the little pieces of it that put this whole mosaic together um i love the pacing of it it's two and a half hours long but it definitely feels like you need that much to tell it because there are all these kind of stages you go through where you're kind of learning about the world with the protagonist and they i feel like it's paced really well when sort of the action stuff comes in and the way the action that you see grows throughout the film like one of the first 
you know, we get this introductory action scene, but then the first action scene after that is just him fighting a bunch of dudes. And you're like, oh, cool, a, a cool fist fight. And then it's pretty soon after that, we see him fighting a guy in reverse. And it's like, whoa, what the fuck is this? So it's it's really cool the way the action is paced and it always kind of ups itself little by little throughout the film. Um, but yeah, so that's that's all I want to say for right now. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get into the discussion about all the pieces and um, you know also things that I've noticed um, the second time through watching it. Um, and I also, I know, I know we normally don't do this, but I, I do want to at least make sort of some references, vague references to Memento. Cause like how I said, I feel like this is a, a bookend. Um, I don't want this to be a podcast about Memento, but, um, I did watch Memento yesterday to kind of prime myself for this, to kind of have those two pieces of the puzzle. Um, so yeah, just to, to sort of warn the listeners, we may spoil parts of Memento, but if you haven't seen it by now, hopefully even Scott's seen it by now too. I think that was one of the, no, oh, no. sorry. No. I was hoping we'd have a moment like Brooklyn nine, nine, where it's like, oh yeah, I finally saw that, that movie Memento. Oh, what'd you think? That's fine. <laughs> it was I mean, I can say that if you want, but <laughs> it would be true. Okay, so we won't include parts of Memento then. But I did watch it last night, and it holds up, and it's still brilliant after all these years. It's been like what twenty years since it came out. It's still, it's still great. It's still, uh, you know, uh, you know. Again, like I feel 22 like twenty-two years since it came out. Yeah, two thousand. I feel like Ben Wyatt when he's like, oh, last night I rewatched Fringe to look for plot holes. And, you know, there were none. You know, I feel like it was like that. Where it's like, okay, over and over again. Like, let me watch it again. It's just like, fuck, this is like perfect from beginning to end. Or from middle to beginning to end, as it as it were. You know, like, it's it's just, it's it's a perfect story. Like, perfectly executed the way it's told. Um and again, I feel like that's kind of where he kind of hit the pinnacle now with Tenet, you know, is that it's it, it wasn't sort of another one of these, like, oh, let me experiment with something. It's like, oh, no, like, I know how to tell a story like this. I know how to tell a story both backwards and forwards at the same time. Like, let's do that, but on a much grander scale. So let's move on to first impressions, I think, from the rest of us. But also, could you tell us how you watched it and when, if you saw it before? Um, I think the, the last time I saw, I think it might've been like on, on my computer on HBO. Um, so it was kind of like, you know, it was, I think it was like a, you know, a smaller screen. I can't, I can't remember if I watched it in the living room. I think it was on my computer. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was definitely like, I, I kind of wish I had seen it in the theaters because there are so many like really cool visual things that happen that I wish I kind of had a, a bigger scope of them. Um, but, you know, it didn't, it didn't like ruin it for me. Um, it was still, you know, and that, I think that's a, that's a, a strength of it is that the story is still good enough that it's not like, Oh, this, this movie sucks because the explosions aren't big enough or whatever, you know, like the, the story still held up. Um, yeah. And my first impression was like, yeah, I think that was one of my first thoughts was like, I want to do this with the podcast. Like this is, you know, like, cause like I said, I feel like I've been, I've been back and forth on so many of Christopher Nolan's stuff that I was just kind of like, all right, this is pretty good. This is fine. Eh, you know, like not really worth talking about, but this one, I was definitely just like, yes, like I need to, I need to share this with people. I need to, you know, yeah, there were elements of confusion, which actually there's one scene I want to talk about 
that I was confused about the first time I saw it. And this time I was like, oh, okay, that's what's happening there. Got it. So it wasn't, it was something that I was wondering, like, is this a flaw? Like, did I not get this? Like, what's going on? It was just like, I had to rewind it again and be like, what's happening there? And I was like, oh, that's this. Okay. So that works. And it's, yeah. So the one thing I thought might be a flaw actually is not a flaw. So flawless. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I first saw it on HBO, I think on my television here. Uh, yeah, I I definitely looked up a lot of YouTube clips, which I think is why I'm remembering my computer screen, because I do, I watched it again on my television for this, at least. So I agree, Tim. I, it was one of those films I went, this would be so great on a theater, but also it's still great anywhere right now in my home. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't lacking for that so much as it would have been enhanced by being in right. the theater. And I also liked it immediately. I want to say I saw it in late, 2020 maybe december because it had been long enough for there to be good and bad reviews both and i was now unsure about oh like this isn't another just inception or dark knight where everybody immediately loves it it's another it's a more divisive northern work but then like you said i watched it i was extremely happy along for the ride the entire time just in that sense of let go don't worry too hard and see where this leads and where it led was very satisfying and very mm. fulfilling. It's great. That's it. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. It. I don't know if I've complained about this on podcast yet, but Primer, it infuriates me as a movie. For those of you who've seen that. And it infuriates me because it's not even the movie. The movie's fine. You know, it, it's made well enough. The performances are good. But it's it's sort of told poorly on purpose. Right in a, in, a, in as, as confusing a manner as, as humanly possible, and that's the point. But I, what annoyed me was then the filmmaker, and as well as a bunch of other people, sort of took the stance of, "If you don't understand it, you're just not smart enough." And my stance is, "No, you did a bad job of, of explaining this." Right, which doesn't mean it's not understandable, or even that I'm smart. I'm kind of an idiot. It's fine, right? But I tend it felt like the total opposite of just. Even if it takes multiple tries, this makes sense. I get how we got from A to B to A again. All right, even though there are things that are I might not be understanding or things that might be confusing, the film felt like it was there to help me, to explain to me. You know, the difference between sitting in a classroom and actually being taught or just like being vaguely lectured at, if that makes sense. So yeah, I liked it a lot. And I'm really glad you brought it to the podcast because I'm eager to discuss it. Joel, I love this movie. <laughs> I love this movie so much. Nice, and I understand why it got the bad reviews it did. And that was I. I watched it for the first time yesterday on my couch on my TV. I had the captions on, which I don't not recommend. I think it helped me. I they were just on. I didn't make a deliberate decision to turn them on. I was just like I had heard that with some audio stuff. Nolan has a history of that. Whatever. I this is. Nolan wants to make Batman or uh, uh, James Bond movies so bad. <laughs> and he doesn't need to because he made this. And this is so much cooler and so interesting. And this, like, if, if James Bond were to in- be introduced to the world it, now, it would look like Tenet. Tenet would be the mixture of something more updated sci-fi. It's so super sleek and sexy, cool. There's nothing that he puts on frame that looks bad. It's just like, the, I, it, it's it's a little long. It's a little overly exe, ex, exposition heavy. 
it's got a little bit of a weird kind of pacing to me. I think the the climax of the film is weird, but then when you figure out that we're going back to the beginning of it, and then you realize it's memento again, it's it's outstanding. You're just like, oh oh, there's more of this. That's the thing. It's a movie that you know. Oh, there's going to be some more of this, and you you feel it. And I I am past the point where that's a frustrating thing. I like that because I'm like, oh, more of this. And when you have every gor- people are gorgeous in this. The suits are gorgeous in this. Every shot of this is gorgeous. I I my my one complaint is when when we're first introduced to the mechanic of reverse entropy, they try they overdo it. They try to over-explain it with the bullet scene. When she's explaining it, she's doing too much. If she had just said bullets are traveling backwards through time, done. That's where people got. So that's my theory is people saw that scene, were confused, and were frustrated about being confused the rest of the movie. Once you just accept the first premise, which is things are moving reverse uh, the way that you're normally perceiving them, you're on board. You're fine. You unlock the thing. You don't need any, like, I. as much as it gets into the minutia and that could be fun, like, I was just, I was so satisfied with the mechanic after I just, I was like, you're over-explaining. I was in when you said bullets going the other way. See, right? I, I agree with you, but also I feel like they didn't want to be accused of constantly rewriting the rules of entropy, of entropy throughout the film, as they might have been if they kept feeding those pieces again and right. again, when suddenly there was some new factor to consider, you know, it could have just been, well, wait, what, what about all the other stuff? Like, why do the rules keep changing? And I, I right. think maybe they wanted to avoid that. And just no, and I understand it. I, I just, I just see a movie like this and I'm like, the balls on this man, the confidence <laughs> of this, like, and every note I wrote was an exclamation point. I was yelling <laughs> in my notes. It's like, I love this. This is so cool. This is what this is what I wish Born was. This is the new sexy modern Bond. This is this is new noir. This like all of these elements. Oh my god, the speeches in this. There's some lines in here that are just incredible. And if you're worried about the mechanic the whole time, you're not getting any of those things. Like th- it, this has one of the most beautifully crafted like noir female lead characters ever. Like it, it, her speeches are amazing in this. I, I'm, I'm over the moon. I, I went, I talked to uh, Tim kind of right bef- like the day before. And it's like, I was going in with very little expectations. I had only heard bad reviews and I was just like, I'm just going to let it take me. And I'm, I, I didn't even need to let it take me. Cause from the second where I'm introduced to this const, like from the very jump, I was like, I am on board wherever, wherever this guy is going to go. I'm going to follow. Cause I, it's, I'm so interested. Like it, it's outstanding. I, I really liked it. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks. Yeah. What about you, Zeke? What were your first impressions? Yeah. Um, I hope I'm not killing the vibe or I'm hoping <laughs> I'm clapping, but I, so I, I liked it. Um, I think it's going to be a second watch for me uh, is all like, and I, like after Tim talked, I was excited. And then, but the more of you talked and then loved it on the first try, I'm a little worried about killing the vibe, right? I just think I need that second watch. And I felt that way with Inception too. Um, so I also really like Christopher Nolan. Um, I think I watched his movies pretty linear, like as they came out, right? I saw Memento early and then saw the Batmans, um, saw Inception in there when it came out, Interstellar. So kind of just 
as he's Dunkirk, I really liked. So as it's come out, I, I've liked it uh, and followed it. But I haven't liked every one the first time I've watched it. Like the first time I saw Inception, I was just too confused. I felt like there was too much going on. And it took me a second watch to really appreciate it. And I think that's a little bit where I'm at um, with this one. And so, uh, you know, I'm glad you all went. There's a few things that you mentioned that I was thinking about and stuck on that you've already kind of helped me through a little bit. Um, I think I'm more on Joel's side with the pacing than Tim's side. I think for me, the pacing did feel a little bit choppy. Uh, you know, it felt like here's five, 10 minutes of exposition and then here's 10 minutes of just an action scene. Here's five, 10 minutes of exposition. Here's 10 minutes of an action scene kind of just repetitively. And then it also felt like a lot of, okay, we're chasing the next thing, right? So we're tracking down the bullet. Okay. Now we're talking about the science of it. Okay. We're tracking down the lost art. Okay. We're talking about the science of it. And it just kind of kept going that way. Um, but to Tim's point, the action also built built too, as you went through the stakes kind of got higher and the action scenes got um, more intense. So I really enjoyed that too. Um, but I just think the stop go of it and my brain just working to figure out some of those smaller pieces, I think I was stuck on a little bit of that. And so that's where I got hung up. Um, and I do think, I, I don't know. And then I like the explanation scene. So I'm more on the other side of that one. Um, because I thought it was really cool when she talked through, you know, fire and ice and like the winds at your back. And just, I thought that was a nice point to drop in some of the place setting of, and it was a little like, it was very forward. It wasn't subtle at all. It was interjected there. And then the next action sequence, he gets set on fire. Right. So it's, you know, they told you that right before that happened at the same time though, I think it was a good way to lay out the rules for the movie and kind of set our expectations. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. I uh, got to the end and as things were picking up and starting to click for me, um, you know, you get, uh, you know, like that last battle where people are backward and forward and you get more turnstiles as you go and just all that stuff. Like it started to click. You started to get why things were happening the way they were. Um, and so it did come together at the end. I think I'll enjoy it to Joel's level once I get it on a second watch. Um, but you know, I, I loved the acting in this one. You got, uh, John David Washington, Denzel's son. So I'm there, Robert Pattinson. I'm there. Um, you know, I, I think it was a phenomenal cast. Um, and it was a good Nolan movie. I think it just took me another second to get some of the things. And once I got past that, like being stuck in the details, I kind of enjoyed it. And I am excited to get into the memento discussion because I, so I watched this one on HBO Max, not in theaters. Um, and I watched it after we decided that this was going to be the, you know, I hadn't seen it before Tim, before he brought it to the podcast. So I was like, let me rewatch Memento. So I had that in the back of my mind. And I was doing a little, probably a little too much com comparing and we can get there in a minute. But I was definitely thinking like, as Memento goes, plays with time, it reveals things to you. Whereas I felt like this one, as it went on, it complicated things a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's where I was stuck. Um, but again, overall, not to kill the vibes. I did like it. Excited to chat about it. There's always one. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, the the it's second obviously. watch point is valid. I, I was yeah, kind of afraid absolutely. to watch it a second time, actually, because I loved it the first time. But I also just loved that that it had happened and was over. And like in real life or for Tenet, like you don't get another chance to, even when you invert, you're not going back over the same ground again you're not going back in time to change the past 
you're still going forward for you and you have to do new things and make new decisions and encounter new experiences. And I, I kind of liked that with the film. Like just, that was my one, my journey through it and it might come back around again and I'd have to deal with it again. But I, I don't know. I, I really liked that idea. And I was a little worried that I would find holes if I watched it again, uh, but I didn't. I loved it. And that, that was that. So, so that went well, but I think what you said, Zeke, about, about needing a second watch for a lot of Nolan's work, I did appreciate Tenet more here, already knowing certain things, especially in the prologue opening, when he's still with the CIA. You can, you really just can follow much more decisively. I think what it is I like most about rewatching his films is that it gets you better, deeper into the head of the characters. Because you've already seen the film once and now have this vision of how the person thinks and acts that you didn't have the first time you watched the film because it had to be revealed for you. And it works really well for Dunkirk and it works really well for for this. And it works really well for the prestige too, especially. That second watch is really important. Yeah. I think it like it, it also reminded me a little bit of a of like a video game where you have these video games where you wake up and you don't know who your character is and you know the main character has to learn about the world that they're in, which is a way of teaching you about the world they're in. I felt like this was a similar sort of thing, you know, um, you know, we were kind of following along with him, you know, and he, as he's discovering stuff, we're discovering stuff. And, you know, and I, you know, yes, that's still a device to be like, we're going to explain with words to the main character so that you, the viewer can learn the same things the main character is learning. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I, 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 it does feel a little bit, yeah, like a video game when you're going through those like training levels. But it was still like, you know, I, I, I appreciate it more than I guess if we have like a character who is more familiar with the world than we are, and we're kind of observing what they're doing, and kind of like, okay, like I don't know, you know, like like if I was being explained, I guess I feel like I would. They were talking to me more you know, breaking the fourth wall if the main character knew everything was going on and then they had to explain it as opposed to him kind of discovering things and people, you know, teaching him more stuff, you know, where he's kind of along for the ride the same we are, the same way we are in some ways, you know, because he's just kind of trusting, like, I have this hand gesture and this word, I'm just going to go and hope what I end up do, you know, what I do end up saving the world, you know? Um, yeah. So I did like that part of it, that it was, it was built into that, like that he's, you know, and I think that was maybe one of the things with inception was I feel like they explained, I might be remembering this wrong, but I feel like they explained everything up front all at once. And it was like, here's how all of this works. And then you just kind of got thrown into it and it was kind of up to you to remember all of the stages of how everything was happening as those different stages started playing out. Whereas here, you know, you only kind of knew what you needed to know kind of for each stage because he, they only told him what he needed to know for each stage as he was kind of going through it. So I think that's why, like, you know, I, I see what you mean about like having all that exposition, but um, I feel like it was done. It was done in this film better than I've seen it done in other films. I mean, there are probably other films where it was done better than this film, but I, um, you know, that was something that I did kind of like about this, that it wasn't, um, uh, yeah, it wasn't sort of this, this data dump up front, be like, I hope you got all that. Cause we're just going full speed ahead now, you know, like that type yeah. of thing. That use of a character to introduce the audience is, I mean, it comes up all over the place, right? Harry Potter, he's from mm. a muggle family. So all of magic is new to him and he can ask stupid questions and we can get our answers, right? Uh, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes, Watson is our audience lens because uh watson knows, his, knows the world fine it's it's london whatever but he doesn't know sherlock 
So everything that Sherlock is doing that's odd or weird or makes odd connections, Watson has to ask, how did you connect these two things? And then Sherlock has to explain it to him and we get the benefit. That's a great tool. And I was going to say about, you mentioned this in video games, the same thing. That was one of the things that absolutely infuriated, infuriated me about Halo, about the original Halo, um, was you're, you know, you're in the middle of this war with all these alien races, the Covenant, and you find the Halo ring. And so the mystery is, what is this Halo ring? What's it for? And that part gets revealed to you. But because your characters have been in the middle of this war against the Covenant for however long, nothing about them is explained <laughs> or talked about or anything. They're just there. They're trying to kill you. I wanted to know more about that. But everyone just took it at face value because for the characters, it was just another day at the office. And it was really bothersome. And it was something that they really helped in Halo 2 by exploring the Covenant more. So I I really appreciate that point that you might have put out there, Tim, about introducing to the audience through what's actually going on in the story. I like that a lot. The, this, inter- this movie had an interesting way of showing us how competent our protagonist was and how Robert Pattinson. And it was just like, yeah, we need all these vehicles. And they just show up. Like, I love the simplicity with which they did things. Like, we got to, like, open these doors within te- 10 seconds so we don't just inhale this gas and die. They're just over there. They get, they just do it. Like, there's no – I, I loved the, the movement of that. That was the thing. Like, a, as much as it felt like fetch quest to fetch quest to fetch quest, it was just like the you were just along the whole time because it was just – hitting you so fast and they were just adapting. And I mean, protagonist is one of the coolest, suavest. He's, he's bond. Like I, I will not stop making this comparison because the whole time I'm thinking Pattinson is Felix Leiter to this guy's bond. Like the, the, that partnership, that friendship, that the fact that he, I love that moment at the end where it's like, you, you mean our friendship hasn't even started yet. And I'm saying goodbye like that emotion that oh it was so oh i don't know there's just a lot of heart to it too which is really interesting like as as timey-wimey as crazy as it gets and the things that it kind of foretolds for protagonist as he moves backwards and forwards to become kind of the kingpin of time essentially like that there's there's these human moments about it too and i i i thought that was really cool and just their competence like I, I felt like there there was a confidence in Nolan as a director to say, I don't need to show the heist. I don't need to show the recruitment of these guys getting all these other operatives to help them with stuff. It just, they showed up because they were that good and they worked in the shadows. I I liked that. I think that helped, helped the pacing, um, that we, we didn't waste a whole lot of time with that. And I guess what I had said about the the, the first explanation with the bullets uh, that scene, I I think it needed just like two or three lines of dialogue edited out. I don't. I like the fact that he, they talk about like the fire and the ice and the wind and all of that. I thought that was really cool. And then the idea of like, should, can I drive? I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> like that that whole like and you kind of harken back to the the Matrix thing about like you told me never to go on a highway. It's suicide. Like just the idea of like driving being a dangerous thing even more so with within this world. I love that. Um, but it's just interesting. Like I, Tim and I were talking about this the other night that like the idea of that Venn diagram we were talking about, like a creative artist 
with the Venn diagram of their own taste and what they like, and then the Venn diagram of what will sell and what people will gravitate towards. And this felt like Nolan embracing everything that he liked about, because Memento, I feel like, like a first album, you get kind of the sense of like what a band really does because they grind that album out. And then that's why sophomore albums are so difficult because you spend so much time working on the first one. So for this, that I always think of Memento as like, that's, that's what he wants to make because he had to finance it himself. He put, he just like, like, because it was indie and because it was his, his passion project, he bled sweat and and teared into it. This might be my only shot. So it's gotta be the one. So for him to come back to his roots in, in that sense, to do something sci-fi in an interesting way of uh, doling out the narrative and to do it in this super sleek, shiny, cool way. I, like you said, Tim, like the idea of him, like at coming full circle and kind of developing as a director, I felt like these things, like he was confident and and that I for some reason I didn't feel that like Dark Knight Rises didn't scream confident to me. It, it was I, obviously that script went through. I mean, we've talked about Batman Ignazium on this podcast, but just like the idea that that when saddled with something else, he doesn't he's not getting to do his thing, and this is definitely his thing. Like I I I don't know. It's it just. I know he wants to be Bond. I I know like there's a noir ishness to him, and I like know that he likes to play with science and physics and 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 those things. And it was just so cool to see him kind of bring all of that together. You know, like Dunkirk is is an interesting movie. I'm not. It's not my favorite of his. It, I would. It was entertaining to watch. It's stressful to watch. What he does with time in that it is interesting because it builds tension. Right, it's 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 really yes. great tension. His building butchering of time in that is maybe the film's biggest flaw, I would say, and it it does build tension, but it right. also creates confusion. Right, and but like that, I, I, what I see that as is like he's he's doing a war movie. Like it, he's he's not doing a war movie in the the Nolaniverse. He's doing it in in the reality, so he has to play with it somehow. So he's been wanting to make the like. It just feels like. That might have been the straw to break the camel's back. He's like, no, I'm going to do what I want. And I like when he said, like, this is going to save cinema or whoever said that, I kind of get what they were talking about. Like this, I just felt so, it felt so new and, and fresh, even though it is like reminiscent of a memento. Just the whole time, I just felt like, why have I not seen anything this ambitious, this confident, this is do, trying things. It's taken swings. I don't know if I just have seen the same kind of formulaic thing over and over recently. I, that's not fair to Spider-Man or the Matrix, but the, like, I don't know. It just, it was really refreshing. Zeke, some thoughts from the void. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we move on from first impressions, I kind of wanted to talk about the, I guess the, the impression of the critical review of this. Um, because I will say that I was colored by the thought that this was pretty negatively reviewed a little bit in the sense that I didn't go see it in theaters. I didn't rush out to see it. Had heard a lot of buzz about it being bad. But after I did watch it for the podcast, did the thing I always do and opt on Wikipedia and IMDb and checked it out. And it's actually not that poorly reviewed, right? It's ringing in around 70. Um, that's not bad, right? I, the, the, the way you heard about it, it sounded like a 30% Rotten Tomatoes movie or something like that. And it's on, on all the sites, it's about a four out of five stars or like a right. 70% positive reviews. Um, and I know, you know, we each kind of brought up 
that negative perception in our first impressions a little bit, but I just kind of wanted to touch base a little bit more and just see what you guys were thinking on, um, I guess, the critical review of that and if that shaped your thoughts at all or, I don't know, just the impact of that because in the end, it didn't end up being that bad as I thought it would be. Right. For sure, I definitely did not see it because of the press I it had received. I, they would, it was a lot of just my nerd like um, review stuff that I find, like that little web that I have that I look at stuff. Like it, it wasn't, so I, I definitely didn't see it because of that. But there was also, I think a, a lot of it was wrapped up in the fact that, that oh, this is the one that's going to open cinemas back up. I think a lot of the mm-hmm. critical commentary got wrapped up in the fact that it made very little money in terms of people going out to the theater to see it. It felt like yeah. a defeat a lot because of, I guess the, the streaming numbers weren't all that great. And then there was n- not the box office smash that he thought like, cause, and then it's the thing, I think Nolan kind of shot himself in the foot. Cause he was kind of talking like we're bigger than Jesus, like the Beatles or like, like we're the next beat. Like he was talking like, Oh, this is going to say, we're going to go back to the movies because of this one. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really hear any specific negative reviews. I just remember hearing, Oh, it got bad reviews. Um, and I, I usually don't read reviews cause I usually don't take any of any of the reviews I read seriously. Um, not to say that everyone who writes a review is, is wrong and just kind of trying to like make themselves look smarter by hating on something, but it's like, I don't know sort of who to trust in that realm, you know? Um, so I just, you know, I, I knew I was going to see it either way. It was just a matter of when it came to streaming, um, you know, and, uh, and that's the thing too, is like, I've also read plenty of reviews where people have loved stuff that I've seen and, and really not liked at all. So it's like, it's not even just a matter of like, oh, this is garbage. Okay. I won't see it. It's like, you know, I, I, I just, I think I don't tend to have a lot in common with any of the people doing reviews. So I, you know, I, you know, and, and like I said, I wouldn't know which ones, and I'm not going to do the research of like, which reviewer has liked all the stuff I liked and hated the stuff I hated. And I'll trust that person. It's just like, never mind. Like, I'll, you know, I mean, you know, what is it like, you know, $10 and two hours of my life. If I hate it, I hate it. You know, I'm not going to be like angry. Um, I mean, it's much even, even easier now because it's streaming, you know, so it's just the two hours of my life. I'm already paying for it, you know? So um, yeah, if something gets bad reviews that I really wanted to see, like I will still just see it, you know? So that, that didn't have anything to do with it. It was more just, yeah, like the whole theater aspect that, you know, that stopped me from seeing it, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like it was poorly received by critics so much as by the public, right? Mm-hmm. It's just the, the discussion around it was this 50, 50 of either. It's great. It's another Nolan action movie. Go see it. And of it's a really confusing time movie. Don't see it. Mm-hmm. And that was what left me a little, a little cautious because time especially can be very confusing. Not not just primer like I talked about earlier, but you know you add time shenanigans into anything, you've immediately massively increased the, the, how complicated that is to make. So yeah, because like you said, Tim, about even in Inception, there's a little bit of time, but it's not really about time. Things just kind of dilate as a direct consequence of the stacking of reality. The time is right. is ancillary, right? Mm-hmm. And then Joel, we talked about Dunkirk about that that builds tension well, but it also really didn't help the perception of who was where at what point in relation to each other. At least not for a while. So I went from assuming, oh yeah, it's another known action movie. This is going to be great. To going, well, maybe this will be great. But 
you know, it didn't, didn't stop me. Right? It didn't plant any seeds of doubt or anything like that. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think that is interesting to think of it in the, um, you know, in the sense of what was expected from the box office and, and as a return to the theaters and, you know, the pandemic getting pushed back and all that. Um, because I think it, and we've already touched on a few things, but I think it does a lot of things that even Inception didn't do. And I think that was regarded as a box office success and a, a critical success too. Um, so yeah, I think, I think, you know, this one just walked into some unfair comparisons and expectations right off the bat. Um, which again, like I said, I'll admit it, it colored my, at least seeing it, if not my perception of it right off the bat, um, yeah, and it, again, it is one that's interesting to stack up too on other time jumping movies, and then just on other Nolan movies too. I don't know if that's a good segue to talk about Memento now. <laughs> Oddly enough, like I don't remember a lot of specifics about Memento. I only watched it the once because I knew as soon as it finished, I was like, I need to forget as much about this as possible because it just it's broken my mind, and I need <laughs> to be able to try and recreate it as close as possible. That was just such a raw. I mean, that was. Around the same time I watched like Fight Club for the first time. So I was very much receptive to that kind of like more gritty, more stylized and, and indie of a kind of film, an action film, kind of darker, more psychological, more postmodern in terms of like the unreliable narration or point of view, even because he's constantly re evaluating and relearning the rules of the world and also the truths of the story that he's following. And I just, it's so raw. It's like an exposed nerve, that movie. Like there's no respite. Everything is just so quick. I, I don't know if I, from, that's my first impression of it, watching it once. I don't know how much accurate or if that holds up for me, but that's, that's what I, so like, seriously, like when, when it switches and we're following him going in reverse entropy, I just felt like right back to to how I felt watching Memento for the first time. It's just like, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to see aspects of this. And that's the thing. Like, they planted little seeds. Like, the when when Pattinson is chasing them in the Jeep and honking the horn, when you first see it, you don't really process it. But at the moment, you're like, isn't that weird? He's not trying to run them over. He seems to be trying to signal them. What's that about? So, And then the, the hallway fight with uh, uh, protagonist and protagonist, yeah. It has so much more emotional weight when you're thinking about like it was kind of a jilted and weird fight, but that's because they're going in two different directions. But also it's he's playing it more defensively because he knows it's him. Like that's such a great like when he's in the mask and he's the riot gear doing going the other way. It's just so interesting to see how those those scenes, the the tension inverts and moves in funny in these great ways. And the the what he does with time is just so great for redefining our expectations with dramatic irony. It reinvents how that works. And it's so cool. Like that dramatic irony has been around since there have been like plays, right? Like that, that's a huge thing, but for cinema is one of the few ways that you can extend that really basic component of storytelling and just kind of blow it out to the size of the universe with stuff like this. It just, I, yeah, that, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm really effusive about this. Like I, this is, a, I mean, I stopped taking notes like with 45 minutes left. Cause I was like, no, 
I, I will not make this work. I'm just so enjoying what's happening. So like it, it's with memento it, it, that's that. And it made me feel like, Oh, Nolan's home again. He's get, he's getting to play with his toys again. And that exactly. that's the memento connection for me was just like, Oh, he's going back to his roots. He's he really like, that was really cool to see that, that that's the, where the mementos more than like specific things, obviously the mechanic and like going backwards through a story you've already witnessed but it, it's it's great sorry scott you're getting more detail than you probably want never seeing it but no this is great i'm loving it I'm loving it a lot zeke did you have uh memento memories or or commentary yeah i mean i think that note you ended on was a really good one about nolan getting to do his thing with this right and i think um i mean from reading up on it it sounded like uh tenet was a, a a film that he had in the hopper for a really long time, right. And was trying to get the story across the right way and was really reworking the script and the story itself and um, kind of a pet project for him. Right. So, you know, especially after not, not to knock anything that came in between, right. Like I, I, I think I really started to enjoy Christopher Nolan because of the Batman stuff. Um, sure. But to kind of take that step back from less commercial and less here's an already established thing to a more, here's an idea in my brain. Uh, you know, I, I think that was really cool to see. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, I think for me, having watched Memento, like I didn't watch it right up on it and I had already seen it before. So it was kind of a revisit, but just having that in the back of my mind and thinking that, you know, when you start Memento, you're like, okay, this is very clear. Um, I'm going to try to pull back and, and not get into spoilers. Um, but it starts off and you think, okay, this is obviously how the story happened. And then it goes back in time. And you're like, oh, maybe something's not what I expected. And it goes back more and you're like, oh, okay, it's a little fuzzier. And then it keeps going back in time. And then you eventually get the full true answer and kind of the truth that you're digging for. Um, whereas this one, like I said, just first impression for me going into Tenet and playing with time and, and learning more as he went on, it just seemed to get more complicated. Right. So it's like, okay, here's a story and you're in the, in the opera house and you see the first bullet move backwards. It's like, oh, okay, that got my attention. Then you get the explanation for the bullet and it's like, okay, I'm understanding a little bit more. And then you get the, you know, the talk about the algorithm and then the talk about, you know, just temporal this and that. And then just all the theoretical physics are kind of just piled on as you go. And again, that's just kind of where I got hung up is that the longer moment, the longer that Memento went on, it felt like it got murkier and then clearer. And then the longer Tenet went on, it felt like it got clearer and then murkier. Um, So again, I think that was only because I had it in my mind and I was only directly comparing it to Memento and I wasn't comparing it to Inception. I wasn't comparing it to Interstellar and I wasn't watching it as a thing on its own. Um, so I think I got hung up on the like, well, I'm not a theoretical physicist, so I don't know some of the things that you're explaining. Um, yeah, but again, like just to see these kind of bookends to his career um, so far, uh, it was really cool. I I think that's totally that you I, I feel like you do get more murky at the end of this one. I I I, I also feel like it's this seems more episodic in ter- which is weird because like there's memento is specifically divided into segments of time and it labels them pretty clearly, I think. Right. 
So that that is by definition episodic in that way. But this seemed like it almost it has more pacing akin to like a show or a mini series. I I felt watching it that it was like interesting where momentum seemed to switch and where the climax would plateau or would continue to climb or to like, I felt like those, the, the kind of arc and the understanding and those, I, I felt like he had a weird thing going on with that. And I don't know if it's like, he has a, like the, um, if, if we're thinking like uh Loki, like the perfect timeline or whatever, like maybe in Nolan's head, he has like, okay, this is where the peak, the, the climax is for this narrative, but he didn't seem to show us that. He seemed to show us a character moving through this kind of huge sequence of events and gives us a snapshot rather than a satisfying arc where the character is is learning at, or we are through the character. Even if the character doesn't learn it, it's important for us to learn it. I, I definitely think that's valid, that we're we're just as lost at the end of that film as we were at the beginning. And I, I think that's totally valid, yeah, that... I don't know if that's exactly what the point you were making, Zeke, but that's what yeah. you think. No, I think that I think that's a fair explanation. That makes a lot of sense. It's hard not seeing your facial reactions. I don't know if you're like <laughs> this dude just talking out of his ass. Yeah. <laughs> it's Nodding in agreement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um one one thing too that I wanted to mention that um I think where the reason I mean, I, I like pulp fiction too, but I feel like with with pulp fiction, and I mean someone who's maybe an expert on Quentin Tarantino could prove me wrong. And that's fine. I'm just going to throw this out there. Like Pulp Fiction doesn't have the same sort of uh, story arc climax, the way Memento does where like Memento has like this, this sort of wedge, right. Where one timeline's moving forward, one timeline's moving backwards and they meet in the middle. And this is sort of the big turning point moment. That's just like, Oh, aha. Whereas I feel like with Pulp Fiction, there's a lot of stuff out of order and it's just kind of like, okay, like it, it, it creates this a similar sense of mystery so that when you watch a scene, you're like, oh, okay. And then you watch a later scene and it gives you a new perspective on the scene you watched because that takes place before, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem to culminate the way Memento does, um, where yeah, it's there's this inevitability to see, but it's yeah. not meant to, to impact the sequence of events in any major way. It's right. just a nice thing for the audience to be like, oh, huh, that's no, neat. Yeah. Yeah. I've always thought of Tarantino's like use of time as more like trying to make philosophical or emotional points rather than to realize a narrative um, arc, if that makes sense. Because I feel like where Pulp Fiction ends is certainly saying more about the nature of humanity and like that that's kind of the peak of Jules's uh enlightenment right like he's having having this existential crisis and he's commenting at in that scene yeah i yeah i was going to agree i feel like with nolan um with the playment, playing of time it, the stakes are a lot higher i think there are some tarantino where it does that um i think like hateful 8 where it stops and picks back yeah. up again it's very much like okay we're going 0 to 60 after this intermission um, but for the most part, I think in other movies, it's like, here's a different perspective. Here's um, a slight jump that changes the viewer's perspective. But yeah, I do think the I just agree with everyone that the stakes feel higher in Nolan's. 
I think that Inglorious Bastards is when Tarantino really nailed it with the time stuff mm-hmm. in terms of bringing it into be plot meaningful mm-hmm. because we still get the jumping around, but the jumping around introduces us to various characters, situations, locations, things that are going on. And then it all comes together in the end in this really brisk way. You know, it doesn't require any further exploration into the past. And it's, I don't remember too much jumping around in Inglorious. Is there Cause it's flashbacks? not like, that's the point. It's not flashbacks so much as it's, you know, they open with, of course, that incredible opening scene and mm-hmm. she's hiding in the floorboards. And that's Shoshana is her name, I think. Susanna or Shoshana? The, the one who survives, one. who goes on to open the theater. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's how she escapes, right? And then the bastards, we get a couple of flashbacks of them in, in America, you know? You all mean Nazi scalps. And then the bit of them in the drainage ditch and the flashback to how they picked up the German guy. So now you know, okay, these are the bastards. Here's what they're doing. They matter to the Nazis, right? When Joshana shows up again in hiding in Paris as a cinema owner, we get it. We get her deal. We get her background. We also get Colonel Landa's background. Like, it all fits. So uh, we get the brief, again, I don't know if it's a flashback or if we see these things in sequence, but we get the bit where Michael Fassbender, the British agent, is being briefed in the UK about his mission. So then when that all comes together for the basement, the planning, the basement pub, and the cinema premiere follow-up, all of that just proceeds in sequence. There's not a single moment to stop or bring in new information or or anything. You know, there's no no Kill Bill moment where we have to see the lady on the phone in the car to explain that she's the personal assistant to the lady we're trying to kill, just so that when she's confronted in the bathroom ten minutes later, he takes all his flashbacks and instead just front loads all of them, so that the back half of the movie just rolls. It, it feels like it really not to say that the other films don't work flashbacks are nice but that here is really you know thread a b c d and e all happened at some point before what counts as the start of our film the halfway point right, right? and i just remember watch like when i finally did watch that zeke i, I will acknowledge i walked out of made you walk out of that the first time <laughs> we tried to watch it um mm-hmm. but having seen it now the uh, time the way he plays with it is so much less invasive than he ever had before or even since, I think. I mean, Django is probably the only thing that kind of, like, we get flashbacks in that in a very traditional sense, but, like, mm-hmm. Hateful Eight is a, is a spe- significant time jump back and then oh, we yeah. catch All up to a specific... Several time jumps, yeah. Right, so it was really interesting that, yeah, that in, in Inglorious, it seemed like he was using it more traditionally or less invasively, Whereas whenever Nolan does it, it's like, holy, sh- he's he's carving this up. Like, it seems very intentional, you know, like as convoluted as the mechanic ends up becoming, his use of time has always been such a very specific. I mean, it's a trope at this point. Like, it's it's. I also think it was interesting, too, that, with, you know, and I know I was the one who was like, oh, there are so many similarities. But like, I, I feel like the big difference is that, you know, with with Tenet, we're actually, we, you know, we are following with the main character, like his perspective moving linear through time. So I think it's interesting that, yeah, it's, it's not flashback. It's not, you know, uh, like he's always moving forward. It's just that time around him is all is switching back and forth, which I think was really cool, you know, and, um, you know, and that's kind of what allowed us to see the same fight through two different perspectives, you know, like the once when it happens, you know, with his younger version and then again with his older version. But, but yeah, we never, we don't technically flash back to that moment. 
it's the same moment, you know, in stuck in time, but it's, it's still linear to the character, you know, he's still moving forward through that moment, you know, from his perspective. Um, so, so that that was really neat, a, a neat way to play with, you know, you could, you could kind of put it in this, a similar category to a flashback where, oh, we're revisiting something from the past to give you a new perspective and give you more insight on where we're moving forward. But it wasn't done in that traditional yeah, sense. We're doing it while moving forward the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's a great analysis, Tim. And I like, yeah, like, I like that the, uh, you know, the, the, that idea of the, the temporal pincer, like, like that, that's one of the things I, I remember, like, I had forgotten about that. And like, looking back at, at Memento, like in a way that story is told as a temporal pincer where there's like the moving forward and moving backwards at the same time and meeting at the same point. So, you know, to me, that was also one of the things that was a big carryover, just that, that concept of, um, you know, again, like when, when he does the, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could call them flashbacks, like in Memento, you know, I mean, each scene is moving kind of backwards through time. So is it like a flashback and then we're flashing further back and then, you know, all the stuff that's in black and white, like we're kind of jumping back there too, but I feel like they don't, they don't function like a traditional flashback where for the most part, the movie is moving forward. We're going to stop the movie. We're going to jump back to this other time and have this other thing and then jump right back where we left off. You know, there definitely is this, you know, kind of we're jumping back and forth between these two points that are eventually leading to this one point. And it's, I, I think, you know, for me, like that's what was really cool about it is it didn't, it didn't break up the flow as much because it is this sort of like, you know, you're, um, it's kind of like in math when you do one of those like limits or something, when you have like, you know, negative 10 or, you know, 10, negative 10, nine, negative nine, eight, negative eight, you know, and they're both approaching zero, you know? So even though you're skipping back and forth, both of them have their own momentum towards this, this singular point, you know? Um, and that's what I really liked about that use, you know, whether you want to call them flashbacks or not, you know, it wasn't just sort of like, let's pull you out of this movie to talk about the past for a minute. Um, and, you know, similarly with, with Tenet that, yeah, like it, it still has the forward momentum, even if we're revisiting the past. Cause again, yeah, it's the character who's pulling us forward. Like we're, we're kind of moving forward always with him, you know, even when we see the past, we're not actually in the past, we're still moving forward. Um, and I thought that was, that was great. I think probably something that grew out of, you know, him being able to tell a story that way in Memento and then carry that over, but also evolve it, you know, in this one. Um, that's the, that's the other thing too, is like momentum, Memento has no supernatural aspect to it. It's just the way the story's told, you know, and, and, but again, it is from the character's perspective, this idea about like every senior and it's like, how did I get here? You know, and then we'll find that out later. Whereas here again, it's, it's, it's still through the main character's perspective as time is like flip-flopping around him. Um, so yeah, so it's, I, I really like that. It wasn't just, I'm going to do another memento. Like it, it grew from memento and evolved and like took what he knew, but like added more layers to it. Um, and that's, yeah, that's one of the reasons I, I really liked it so much. Like I didn't, I didn't want him to make another memento, but I wanted him to, yeah, I guess like, what is the progression from memento to something that's bigger and better than memento, you know? And that's, that's what I definitely think this was. That's a really important point about other, other filmmakers who have just sort of remade their older films with more money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, (laughs) Terry Gilliam. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Terry, I love you, but you made Brazil six times. It was fine the first time. <laughs> Even groundbreaking. I'll say Brazil's groundbreaking, but like he just could not get it off his back. 
Yeah, but it's nice nice when there's that sense of well, growth. Growth is the word. For mm-hmm. Tim, yeah, growth as a person and as a filmmaker, and the way they use all sorts of all the different tools at their disposal, either literal filmmaking tools or other stuff, writing, time, personal experience. I was thinking before to sort of pivot a bit. This this is the COVID movie for me because yeah. it was the thing that was maybe going to come out in theaters. And if it did, maybe on time. You know, that was, yep. there were other films that just got canceled or crushed or whatever. Sure. But this was the one that was supposed to be, to bring us back. And it, it sort of did. <laughs> it sort of didn't. Right. But this was the film that COVID disrupted for me. Right. Other films didn't come out at all or they went full stream. They felt more decisive. And I obviously that's a disruption if they made a change. But this was the one that was left sort of hanging in limbo. And lots of things have been, of course. So <laughs> so for me this is this is the COVID movie. I know. You know, there are plenty of other films that could have been. But this is the one, and I think it's partly because it's the one people were talking about, which is a success, but not a traditional success. Right. I had to say, like, when when they said Tenant was going to open the theaters back up, that that was like that was giving me hope. That was like, okay, like I know when that date is. It kept moving back, but it was moving back less dramatically than most stuff, and it it stayed in place for a while. And I was like, oh, okay, when that's out, I, I was going to see it just just to be able to go to the theater and then it it didn't come out when it was supposed to and then it had the reviews and stuff it was just it, it, it yeah it very much characterizes like cinema going and the scope of blockbuster movies such as it could have been in 2020 and and 2021 it's it's crazy yeah so i i want to address the like how i said earlier you know while while we have a lull there was um sort of the one scene that that when I was watching it, you know, I feel like so much of it was oh was yes, the, the flaw together. you thought you found yeah, and and I, I yeah, I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't even call it a flaw because it was something I guess that I was confused about, and I guess yeah, maybe not a flaw in the time travel aspect, but in the storytelling where I was kind of like so hung up on it, and it was just like what 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 the hell, and it was such a big moment too. So it's when you know he's fighting himself. And depending on what perspective you're coming from, from the, the end of the fight, as he is moving forward, his younger self is moving forward. When you see him just sort of slide away under the garage door. And then as it's moving forward, when he goes, when he's being, you know, he's reversed moving backwards through time and he gets sent into the door to, in his perspective, starting the fight. And the event that happens right before that is the, the airplane engine reverse explodes. Right. And I was like, why would a reverse explosion force him through? But this time it clicked. Like it's because the turbine was actually running, but it was the intake, but it was in reverse. So he jumped in front of it. So it blew him through. So the first time through, I was like, are they trying to say that the explosion forced him through, but the explosion was in reverse. It sucked in. Why would that do that? And then I even had to go another layer. Cause at first I thought, Oh, it's the turbine blowing the air, but I'm like, well, wait, no, it's, the, the airplane's facing it and i was like that's right that you know it's he's reversed so what's being sucked in in real time is blowing out in reverse so he jumped in front of the turbine which again was sucking in had he been moving forward it would have pulled him in but because he was going in reverse to him it was blowing out and that's what pushed him through so like that was one of those things where i was just kind of like especially at the first time you see it because they're fighting and he just uh, like just like <laughs> spread, like magically slides away and i was like what the fuck 
you know, which, which is great the first time you see it. But then when you're, you know, when you're watching that later on and you're like, Oh, cool. We're getting this explanation. And it was like, this thing explodes. And then, and then he gets thrown through. I was like, wait a minute. Why? And like, so I actually went back and like watched it a few times and it took, it's only a split second that you see it sucks in and you can see the turbine spinning and it's like, Oh, okay. That's what sort of sent him through. Um, And also just like, you don't really get any clue as to that's what his plan is like, Oh yeah, this, I mean, you know, he knew all that happened because it happened before, but the split second that he just like, here's this thing that just reverse explodes and he jumps in front of it and goes flying. Like, you don't, there wasn't, I I guess for me, there wasn't enough time to acknowledge that like, Oh, this thing spinning is, you know, again, sucking in real time, blowing in reverse. So that's what sends you through. So, so again, it was something that I thought was like, and, and, and I guess it would be a dumb mistake to make too. And that was part of it too, is like, I didn't want to be like, oh, this is, you fucked this up. But I was just like, what is actually happening there? So, um, so yeah, so it was nice seeing it the second time through. And I forgot that there was that point, but when I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. This really bothered me last time. Let me, let me dig in and figure this out so I can work it out in my brain. So yeah, so that's what happened and it's all good. So I was like, great. <laughs> Thought it was one flaw, zero flaws. <laughs> Zeke, bring some more. Well, let's work them out. Let's work them out. <laughs> okay. More flaws or more? <laughs> Both. <laughs> more anything? Okay. More anything. Favorite scenes, anything? Yeah. Sure, yeah. Let's, let's do, do favorite scenes. Okay. Um, very random, but one thing I really liked, uh, <laughs> Joel, to your point on watching with the uh, subtitles on, mm-hmm. I was laughing because at one point the subtitle is just indistinct shouting in reverse. <laughs> Uh, which I like very much. That that made me happy. Um, But no, like, yeah, I don't know. I was just kind of reflecting as Tim was talking about that on the, uh, just just that battle scene and just the, I don't know. It was just the visuals in this are just so unique. And uh, I I guess unparalleled too, right? Just the um, looking over a war landscape and seeing the explosions happen in reverse and the ground erupting in reverse. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I just really enjoyed that. So much of that, full, that final battle scene, the red versus the blue or not versus, but the red team, blue team working in conjunction. Um, I don't know if it's fair to pick an entire battle as my favorite scene, but that part there was for sure one. Um you know, fighting himself was a great scene. Uh, looking to see, I had another favorite too. The first time you see the turnstile, or the first time you see the proofing window with the turnstile, and they're explaining, you know, don't enter this unless this. And then he looks in the window, and you see the 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 troop and and the protagonist walking in reverse, um, and then they all charge into the turnstile. I thought that was really cool too just that reverse imagery of, of that mirror window to them. So um, yeah, lots of favorite visual scenes for sure. I love the backwards hallway fight. That's my mm-hmm. favorite mm-hmm. when it comes out the second time. Yeah. That's just the peak of, of everything, all your understanding about how everything works coming together. What's great is the first time through, you know, he gets saved in the opera house at the start by someone with their face covered. So this is the, the forward hallway fight is the second time you see a face covered person and i'm like this is the guy who saved his life or it's him or like i was already ready for him to beat himself in the future and not know right so when that came together at the towards the end it was like proof that i was keeping track of everything 
and everything I knew was coming together really well. And it was also just a really awesome fight. So that was great. I like the touch that I don't the oxygen, right? Everything about your body works perfectly fine when you're inverted, except breathing. <laughs> because I, it only gets to make up his own rules, which is fine. But I love it because it gives us a visual identifier for who's yeah. inverted and who isn't. Maybe that's the whole point. I, I don't know. Maybe not, right? Because then there's suddenly all these rooms filled with oxygen taped off with plastic so we can all act normally while we're you know, going on a backwards boat or waiting in a, in a window or whatever, right? It, it felt like that was sort of, I need some sort of sci-fi quirk for my rule, but also it's going to serve a purpose, right? It's going to serve a purpose for the audience. I just love it. I just love that nice little touch. And it provides yet another reason for our characters from the start for the opera house bit and the hallway fight to be covered in all this gear because it helps integrate all the oxygen systems as opposed to just hanging off of you and rattling around, right? So it it feels sort of delightfully arbitrary and yet extremely purposeful at the same time. And I love it. Yeah, that was one of the things I was thinking about. And I was like, I was like, yeah, trying to wrap my my head around why that's a thing. But I was like, I mean, who the fuck knows? Like, like nobody's ever moved backwards through time. So you can't really say like, that's not true, you know, but it's like, I, I guess it makes sense in a way that it's just like, yeah, the way the air is moving, it's, it's, it's backwards, you know, so it probably, it, you know, I guess it wouldn't function in the same way. And it's just like, you know, again, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, sure. Like, you know, and I feel like that's probably the deal with a lot of, you know, stuff that shows up in sci-fi is like, yeah, like, who knows if we were able to ever figure some of this stuff out, um, if it would, you know, work the way we think of it, or there would be all this random stuff that like, oh, by the way, this is a problem. We never imagined this would be a problem, but it is, and it doesn't work now. Um, so I thought that, yeah, it was one of those things where like, I, yeah, like I, I kind of, yeah, you, you go along with it, like with a lot of the other stuff where it's just like, sure, I, I, I guess there, yeah, there are going to be side effects to moving backwards through time that we wouldn't have thought of, you know, and yeah, like, I wonder if it was a plot device or if it was, you know, did he read a paper sometime that someone wrote about, like, you know, moving backwards through time? And it's just like, well, the way oxygen works, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, like, I never thought of that. Like, it's, let's throw that in there, too, you know? And, and it works because yeah. even, even in real life, like, I'll, I'll geek out on you for a moment. There are guns that fire caseless ammunition, right? So a normal bullet is a case, and it's filled with gunpowder, and then you stick in the end of the bullet, right? And the gunpowder burns up, and the bullet goes out, and the case gets ejected and dumped on the ground, right? Caseless ammo. The case is also made of gunpowder, more or less, propellant. Just solid, like a like Play-Doh cake. So the whole thing just burns up. And the bullet goes out the end, and that's it. Nothing to eject out the gun. And one of the earlier caseless ammo guns that really got made, they had overheating problems. Just, it was really overheating really quickly. Well, eventually they figured out that's because in a real gun, regular gun, a bunch of heat goes into that case and gets dumped out the side of the gun like a heat sink, which is not the point. That's not why you have a case there, obviously, right? right? But it was a, an extra benefit that no one noticed or thought about until suddenly it wasn't there anymore and we had a new problem, <laughs> right? And that's that's real. But then it also gives you this great reason to have you know, future guns that don't eject anything be really hot all the time or covered in water or whatever else you might want for science, you know, for your cool film. So, so we could decide, you know what? Everything works fine except oxygen. Here's some cool looking oxygen meth. Like, 
Like, sure, maybe there really is a scientific reason somewhere in Christopher Nolan's notepad that we just didn't get to see. Who knows, right? Because science can be really surprising like that and really unpredictable. It's great. I also like that it just made it... Nolan's notepad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I also love that it just made it more, like, inconvenient. You know, it made it more of a big deal to have to do that. It wasn't just like, yeah, we'll just give it a go and whatever. And we'll just jump back in time and go, but it was like, okay, we've got to make sure we have a mask. And if it gets, you know, if it comes off, we're going to start suffocating, you know? And it was just like, you know, working that into it is like another, uh, another thing to overcome in this world. And, um, and yeah, like how, like, I, I love those moments of, okay, we've got to go back in time two weeks. All right. We're going to be in the shipping container for two weeks, just hanging out. But yeah, we can we can be in reverse because yeah, we're in this container car that's that's sealed off. So it's like, all right, we're just living here, and you know that within that container car, things were normal. They didn't have to wear the mask, but they couldn't go outside of it, you know. And I just I love that like it created this whole like big inconvenient thing, you know. It wasn't just like oh, I want to go back in time two weeks, so I'm just gonna go back in yeah. time and go sort of like hide out in this empty house or whatever. It's just like, no, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to breathe. I'm going to have to have a steady supply of oxygen. It brought us two effects. First, it made the real world feel like an alien landscape, mm, right? Yeah. You need your spacesuit, your oxygen to go outside, which yeah. was really cool because it's obviously also, just an earth. <laughs> yeah. like, um, it's not as subtle. <laughs> but second, it really hits home the scale of the resources available to the good guys and the bad guys. Because yeah. You're thinking about all the oxygen and the pre-planning and the vehicle setup, and you're just like, this, you can't just make an army and have them invert, right? Like, it's just no way. There's too many resources. And then at the end, we have these two armies, and they're both partially inverted to fight each other and come together, right? And all these resources show up. And on the one hand, they show up out of thin air. On the other hand, they show up because we just went back and forth again and again, adding to our snowball of resources until it all came together at this point (laughs) it just it was great because like you said it's such an inconvenience right that oxygen is is everything if you don't have it you can't even think about inverting and yet here just ah yeah 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 200 of you sure you go back in time done it you open your eyes and you go whoa (laughs) like wait a second there are some serious forces at work here behind the scenes well, also, yeah, and adding to that too, like you said, the idea of the resources when they're planning to do that attack, the you know the good guys they're they're planning this ten minute on both side two pronged attack, but the people guarding it, like how they say they have inverted weapons, inverted soldiers. So, like those inverted soldiers, how long had they did they you know have to go back to then arrive? Like you know, like the resources that the villain has, where he's just got. Yeah soldiers upon soldiers were like you're just going to go forward and then you're going to reverse and then you're just going to basically you know your shift is just going back and forth through time yeah, this one slate so you're either a forward going soldier or a reverse going soldier but you and just... then you can bring more resources in from further outside your two week or one month window or whatever but it becomes increasingly difficult to do so because like you could have uh, let's just say that our protagonist was in the military before he was in the CIA he could have sat around in his container for like a year and gone back to when he was in the army somewhere, shown up as him, you know, sergeant protagonist, and like stolen a tank and left with it, and then uninverted himself in the tank, and then brought it back another forward a year with them. But like, it's such a monumental undertaking because even but, just going back a week is difficult. Yeah. And it takes a week. That was my other it favorite takes, thing. Yes. You have to go back in time in real time. It's not, 
get in the DeLorean and poof, you're there. It's like sit around for a week, you know? Yeah. I think my favorite scene was when he goes to see Michael Caine. Mm. Because it's (laughs) great. It's James Bond scene. (laughs) It's great. It's great. And it's great because he's he's a great actor in in everything is but when michael kane is the guy who's giving you shit and information it's it's the best it's the best thing and the fact that he's like what does he say about like brooks brothers won't cut it and then <laughs> protag comes back and he says uh the english oh, don't right. have okay. a monopoly on snobbery and they said no but we do have a controlling interest <laughs> i just the lines, the the music of that. I, I, seriously, there's a lot of like high, fast talking, high trousers to the cadence. It's very noir, very sixties, very femme fatale. Uh, um, detective with no name, private dick. Like the the way that they just kind of efficiently deliver lines and, and drop people. Like it was so noir, it hurt. So like those little pockets were great. I love that. And then I really love the speech that Cat gives, where she's talking about the other woman on the the boat. <laughs> I've never, freedom. I've never envied somebody more. And he, Protag comes back and he says, I, you're not, I, you don't strike me as the jealous type. And then she says, of her freedom. And just the beautiful sadness. The, oh, it's just so well. I, I love that character. I love that character. I love that arc for her character and that ending. It just, I, I really, really liked her. And I like, I felt like every line she was given was gold. Cause you kind of get introduced to her and she's like, seems like a typical bond girl. Number one, like she's going to end up dead or she's going to be end up used and she's going to be poorly written. But I think she had this great rich backstory. And I mean, obviously Kenneth Branagh just, the best Bond villain ever. I'm going to just, it's a Bond film, people. I'm calling it that. <laughs> to me, I just, Kenneth was scary. That that was yes. a very, oh. very scary character. Terrible. Just. And what's great is you start off thinking that he's angry and scary, but not too smart. Like, right. just smart enough to keep control of his crime gang and otherwise use brutality to rule. But then the film goes on and it turns out that, no, he's really smart. He has known what he's doing this whole time. He can keep up with you. And you saw him be much more frightened. Yeah. Um, I really liked the the regatta scene where they're racing the giant fa- uh, 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 sailboats. That was like a gorgeous, like, there's no reason for them to be doing that other than they're, this dude's a billionaire and has nothing but time and James Bondiness. Let's put them in a fancy setting reason. Yeah, exactly. It's just gorgeous. Like that, I think that was practically shot. I, I think. I don't know. But Probably. Like just that, that was just some gorgeous cinematography. The man on a plane the, off another plane. Do you think he won't film sailboats? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want to crash a plane without it taking off. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's actually my only problem with Dunkirk is that they really burned... They, they built a prop at the end for the plane that gets set on fire on the beach. But you can see where it's burning. There's no engine in the plane. Because <laughs> oh. all the wood burns away. There's just a little little pole for the prop. I was like, ah, oh, <laughs> oh, that must have hurt him so much. Like, I wonder why he didn't redo really that. Because there's no way he didn't notice. But on the other hand, like, it is really there and on fire. And so the lighting it casts as the sun sets just, it's just beautiful in a way you couldn't possibly have done otherwise so 
John David Washington. I keep forgetting his name and I need to stop because he's an incredible actor and he's kill like he kills it in this. I mean, he's the right. body, he's the face, he's the he, way he moves, Zeke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. And just you know, and it's unfair because he's a he's a spectacular actor in his own right. He does all the things he said. But sometimes it's scary if you take your eyes off the screen for a minute, you just hear yep. Denzel. Oh, you do. It's just like, how is he exactly Denzel in the in his inflection, in the way he says things? There was one moment, um, I don't remember, I don't remember what word it was, but he said a thing exactly like Denzel would say a thing. And it was just one word, and I was like, holy shit. But he, yeah, he has the charisma. Um he just has everything. Yeah, he, he's, like you said, the face, the, the presence, the, I don't know. And this is a good role for him, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because I didn't, I didn't make the connection. I didn't know he was related to anybody. And I don't know if it's just because I don't have a, an extensive experience watching Denzel Washington do anything. So there was nothing for me to, to mentally click with or what. I'm actually on Denzel's IMDb right now. I'm going to try to see whether I... <laughs> Because I, I know of him, of course. I've seen. You're just breaking Zeke's heart. Made, but... I know we, we can't see it. <laughs> I was going to say there's more Denzel on my what to bring to the podcast list, so I can solve that too. Great. Yeah, I mean, I... as early as next I'm... episode, <laughs> getting pretty far back here, right? Um, Pelican Brief. Okay, I saw that. Have you seen wow. Glory? Not to tangent. But Glory. Seen... Yeah. Yeah. I I've feel seen like Glory for seen sure. Glory. Yeah. So that's in there. But a lot of this newer stuff, I really but... don't know. Um, Oh, I guess I saw Remember the Titan. That's 2000. We're still pretty far back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mountain Fire, Manchurian Candidate, 2004. Did everybody notice Tim put on his fucking headphones to fucking flex on me because he's got nice new studio headphones? Can we just for a second? I'm sorry. I'm pausing <laughs> it right now. This motherfucker. Chris isn't here working. Okay, you're fine. I just I saw you bring them into the camera and I noticed. Yeah. I was like, you motherfucker. You got new nice new headphones. Sorry, everybody. So yeah, is there any on those li- that list, Todd? It's well, I I've seen some of these, sure, but I except for Trading Day, which I rewatched like two mm-hmm. years ago. I don't know that I've seen Denzel in anything for the past decade. Okay. Because there's not a lot on here, right? There's the two Equalizer movies. Fences was a really big deal. Fences, mm-hmm. right? And it's just, I recognize a lot of the titles. I just didn't. It just didn't happen, right? Not not on purpose. Yeah. That's I really like Book of Eli. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a good one. I haven't seen that. Yeah, they just they were always sort of third or fourth on my list of things to see that were out that month that just never happened, right? So maybe that's why I didn't make the connection because I don't have that same internalized sense of his body language and the way he speaks and everything. Mm. Or maybe it was because I couldn't take my eyes off of Robert Pattinson. Dude, are <laughs> you yeah, right? he's great in this. Oh my, oh my God. That dude can wear a fucking suit. Can we just for a second? Holy crap. He can wear anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, no matter how beat up he is or isn't, or how suave he is or isn't, or what he's wearing, it just, oh my god. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I. it took me forever to realize who Protag was, because I was looking at Robert Pattinson <laughs> every scene. <laughs> oh, man. Definitely makes me more optimistic for, for the Batman, you know, like, yeah. at first I was just kind of like, yeah, whatever, I mean, you know, the only thing I knew him from really was Twilight, but it's just like, okay, that's that's Twilight. It doesn't mean that he's horrible. It just means Twilight is horrible. But right. I had nothing really else to compare it to. So it was just like, oh, okay, this is this is what he does when he's not a sparkly vampire. Got it. Yeah. Water for elephants was in the middle of the Twilight. Movies. Oh, that was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then stuff here that's good. I've heard The Lost City of Z is good, but I haven't had a chance to see that yet. Hmm. Right? But um, The Lighthouse, of course. Oh, God, you know, The Lighthouse is so good. And one, he was in that movie, um, not Persepolis, Cosmopolis. Yep. Right? And yep. the limo? Yep. Really carried him. I haven't seen that one either yet. I guess that was in... Uh, See, Zeke, after seeing Scream, this is making me want a uh, uh, son of Denzel and son of Dennis Quaid movie. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's some powerhouses, yeah. yeah. John David and uh, Jack Quaid. <laughs> I love Jack Quaid. Yeah. Yeah, he's in the, the new Scream movie. Oh, nice. Really good <laughs> in it. Mm-hmm. I, I know mostly that's... from uh, The Boys, but also that movie he was in... Um... I forget what it was like this romantic comedy with what was it? Plus one. Plus one. <laughs> yeah. Which was it was so it was great to kind of see him in like these two opposite ends of the spectrum things, you know, where it's like, you know, him in this sort of fucked up superhero type show, but then like, oh, basic romantic comedy. Like so he's got range. <laughs> <laughs> see, I still haven't seen uh Black Klansman. And I, oh. I guess John David just fucking acts yeah. his ass off in that one. Like that's such a good one. Yeah, uh, I need to need to watch that one too. He's got them coming, man. Like like you said, Zeke. Like there are certain things he says exactly like, mm-hmm. but he's a very different actor. The way, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Obviously, he he carries himself. He's very like commanding and very like you feel his presence on screen. But it's different from Denzel's energy. It's it's like right. That voice, though, Jesus. <laughs> it's funny too. Like, Pattinson makes me curious about more Harry Potter actors, right? Because he's only in the one Potter film, very right. briefly, and then he's dead. That's the end of that. So, like, Radcliffe, we saw in more movies, and we saw him grow up. So we keep seeing him and go, "Oh yeah, sure." But Pattinson, I see and go, "Wow, look at that!" Right? right. Obviously, physically, he grew literally, but just the rest of the career, otherwise, and I. Those films are full of really famous adult actors. Kenneth Branagh is in that, for, for example, he's in one of them, right? So I, I look around at all the other kids who had smaller, tinier parts and go, how many other of these people could have been a Robert Pattinson? Right. And I, you know, maybe they didn't want to be. Who, who knows, right? I, I'm not trying to cast some sort of cloud over that. But, but the thing is then, I see people like John David Washington or Adam Driver, and I wonder, well, where the hell did they come from? Right? Do they have any performances in other things that are smaller parts that I can go back and watch? Those guys are crazy. They have such great control of their instruments. Like, I, yeah, it, it's, I, I guess it's genetic for, like, obviously, John's doing the work, but, like, I, like, it doesn't hurt to have that guy as your dad in terms of, like, getting started for, like, a baseline, but yeah, Driver was a Marine who did theater as as part of like a therapeutic thing after he'd come back, like was done being a Marine. So like, yeah, it's crazy to see where where the talent is coming from now. It seems to be in far flung spaces. What did we all think of the villain? Like, I we Scott and I talked about Kenneth Branagh. What did you guys think of that performance, Tim and Zeke? Yeah, I mean, it was it was great. It was. Um... You know, I haven't I haven't seen him in a ton of stuff. I know he's done like lots of Shakespeare. Um, years ago, a friend of mine was told like told me how much he loved uh, him as Iago in um, Othello, which I think Lawrence Fishburne plays Othello in that version. Um, 
And I think I had watched it too. And it was, but it was kind of one of those things. It was like very like set up for me, like, Oh, this is a great performance. And it's like, Oh, it was, but it wasn't, you know, it didn't, uh, I didn't stumble upon it and you know, like have it blow me away. It was like, I was told this was a good performance. Yeah. I can't think of a lot of stuff I've seen him in. Um, my, my biggest connection to him was that he directed the first Thor. And I remember right. when that was kind of happening, it was like, Oh, who better to direct it than him? You know, he's done so much, you know, Shakespeare and stuff like that. This will be a very good way to handle like these type of characters, you know, that type of thing. Um, who would have thought that, it, you know, it wasn't one of the best <laughs> Thor films, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I guess it was still better than two, according to most people, but like, you know, who would have thought the best Thor film would be like, yeah, let's take him completely out of this world, you know? <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, like, I mean, I, 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 you know, I kind of knew going into it, like, okay, he's got, he's got history. Um, but yeah, it was good. Like you said, he was, he was scary. He was, um, I liked his, his subtle moments more, you know, like the part when he's like, oh, we're going to take you out here. We're going to slit your throat, you know, and, and just like the fact that he can just be like at this party among all these people and he's going to say this stuff just kind of like, as a matter of fact, and this is going to happen and I have the power to do this. And, you know, and luckily he's just like, you know, Oh, how do you feel about opera? Oh, okay. You changed my mind. Like, because you know, this, that, and the other, and it was so, and, and I, that's what I liked about it too. Like you mentioned, like you find out he is smart. Like, I feel like tons of villains are so ruled by sort of like their emotions or in anger that it's like, if you piss them off, you're dead no matter what. So the fact that he was able to switch gears and be like, Ooh, I may be able to get something from you that supersedes how angry I am and how much I want you dead. So, okay, we'll hang on to this a little longer. Um, and I really love that about him. Um, you know, and it made him, it made him more, more complex, but also scarier. Cause it's like, well, you're only alive as long as you're serving a purpose to him, you know, that type of thing. Right. And, um, so I really, I really dug that, but, um, yeah, just in general, like yeah, he was, he was great. He was, he was great that I didn't really have to think about him much, you know, like I wasn't noticing his performance. He was just like, you know, they are just terrifying. It, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Zeke? Yeah. Um, well, thinking back to before we started, um, you know, he's in um, Murder on the Orient Express, and he's coming up in Death on the Nile um, as Her- Hercule Poirot. And so he's, yeah, really good in there. Um, that just clicked for me as we were talking about it. But, yeah, I think he was, the, the scene where he's going after Cat. And is just, you know, I mean, that's how do you make, how do you make a character more hateable, right than, right? than that scene, right? And he did that really well. Um, he's a villain, villain that you hate, just how he acts, and he's like Tim was getting at the scenes that he's in where he just is increasingly more scary because of his actions and just lurking there, right? Um, yeah, just another again phenomenal piece to this that I think. Uh, I don't know. He just had just so much talented acting in this. And then um, I think the gradual reveal of him throughout the movie, right? Like you kind of get more and more of him and different motives for him and different, you know, why he's doing what he is, but also what he's doing. It kind of grows as you watch. Um, but just throughout, he's just a, a very good, terrifying villain. So yeah, big fan. I like that he was able to play like that, that kind of bubbling rage, but he was also bored billionaire too. Like even when he's delivering, like, this is how we're going to kill you mm-hmm. to protag. He's, he's like, he's bored. 
He's bored saying the words. He's like, we're going to take you here. We're going to kill you. Like, he, it's just, it's sinister. But it's also like behind his eyes, it's like, I feel nothing about you. Business. Then he, in, like, then uh, he intrigues him. People and torture them if they're going to stay right. afraid of me. All right. Right? So, like, it, 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 was, it was really cool to see him have that, oh, what do you, how do you feel about the opera? What do you know about opera? Oh, shit. Okay, this is, this is a, a, a distraction, an interesting distraction. And he takes him on his boat and he invites him. In, like, just the leisure of being able to shift like that and, and that kind of, like, idle billionaire boredom was, like, a great aspect to that. And then you see how purely in egomaniacal he was. And how how terrifying and like you said, Zeke, the gradual reveal of him was great too. Another seriously, like that's how you do a Bond villain too, right? You have some it's usually a Bond girl who has some access into the inner circle of this guy, and you have this relationship with like it, I I love that. That was I feel like there are div there are segments of other plot progressions within this film that are are part they're tethers i think that's what helps me is that okay this feels like bond everything that happens like i can kind of shape it through that i might be characterizing it too much but like you just see these like he, he nobody shoots things that cool without trying to be cool i don't know like and what was cooler than bond like you know i i don't know yeah well i was gonna right. kick it back to your comparison um yeah, and to me, he felt a lot like like Kingpin, right? Like he's Ooh. cool and and a, you know just a businessman and and all of those things as he needs to. But when he snaps, you're just terrified of him. Yeah. But when he's cool, you're terrified of him too, just in a different way. Uh, and I think that to me tends to be the makings of a of just the most terrifying villain or just a really good villain when they can kind of be as scary or as intimidating in you know both sides of the coin when they're playing both sides so also like it's an extension of that terror like the the cold open of this film the 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 siege of the the opera house was really scary that was like it it felt very real it felt very pointed i mean like it 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 felt like an auditorium where you would have a a big class in a college like it felt very pointed and it was like even when everybody was kind of been knocked out it was just two people moving along like you don't think about those amphitheaters as like presenting the audience as easy targets but like they're that was really scary and then they're running through and like everybody's gone limp and that was really scary to see that cloud come and everybody kind of faint out like i i thought that kind of is the first kind of looming threat you get. And then you kind of realize that someone from the future is sending weapons back in time. And I just had this thing, like when they introduced that concept, it's just so terrifying. Like how, how big could they get? Cause like if a fucking scud missile is coming back in time from the future and it just pops out and it, it fucks up reality. Like I just, it just felt so, like they said about a cold war, like it was that kind of looming scariness. Like it, it had that kind of, I don't know. It felt Tinker Tailored soldier spy a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Kind of how Definitely. things were set up. And then also a little bit 12 monkeys. Cause that's all about kind of 
going from the 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 future to a projected past and and trying to figure out okay what went wrong and how do we prevent it from going like it just see like it was very good at that kind of looming existential terror from beyond which was really i I feel like it established that tone early and used kenneth Branagh to kind of continue that kind of mounting like fear and then the idea of like like how wide the scale could go or how far back how far forward the the weaponry would be coming at just echoes of a battle we lost a long time ago but in the future coming in in fucking up the past just was, it felt very terminator like it, it was it was all those things to really kind of early and establish those kind of scary elements for me i don't know if that was just my experience yeah, that scene was was really hard to watch because uh, there was actually one time this was obviously before covid uh chris and i had gone to see the colorado symphony and we were in I don't know if you've been in Betra, but like, you know, you can kind of see, sit all around and it's not just sort of like plop in front, you know, so we were kind of off to the side and we were kind of up kind of high and there weren't like a lot of people around where we were. And we saw this guy with like this backpack with this like thin cylinder sticking up the top of it, who was climbing up into the higher seats above where we were. And we were like, what the fuck? So like, we actually went and like told an usher, like there's just someone like walking They're like, Oh, that's the photographer. That's probably the, the you know, photography equipment. And I was like, God damn it. Like, you know, and that, I mean, that was the, again, pre COVID. So the worst thing we had to worry about was like active shooters. That was the thing that was on our minds 24 seven. So we were kind of like in the midst of like, Oh my God, are we in the middle of this? And at least like, okay, we got out, but it's like, you know, what about everyone else? You know, it's like, is this person? And I mean, yes, they were looking for a better vantage point, but it was just to take pictures, you know, but it was still, just like in that moment you're just like like fuck is this it is this when it goes down you know so yeah watching that scene was just you know even though it didn't actually happen it kind of definitely conjured that again of like okay like you know and and again by the time i watched it it was already covid so it's like well i'm not going to the symphony anytime soon anyway so but it was still just like oh man like maybe i'll still stay away from that even once covid's not a thing because i also don't want to get shot you know like that's something you know you watched uh under the skin Right. I mentioned that that scene where she goes down the escalator to the crowded mall felt super off-putting to me because nobody had masks on, and I was like, ah, this yeah. film didn't do that to me at all. And I don't know if it's because I still associate it with having been made pre-COVID, or just if it feels like sci-fi and therefore separate from the real world. Mm-hmm. But there's certainly a disconnect there that I didn't get with, just say, under the skin, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, another, another thing I wanted to say before I forget, cause like it doesn't, I don't know if it has to do with any of our categories, but like one of the things I really liked was how he kind of snuck in, um, you know, this line about like, I think when he's, you know, he's talking to Kenneth Branagh's character, like, like why, why are, why are they attacking us in the future? And it's just like, oh, because, you know, their oceans are rising, their rivers are drying up and, you know, who else's fault is it, but you, and it's just kind of like this, this sense of like, like, yeah, like they're, they're, you know, you fucked up their world now. And it's like, almost like this little commentary on like, you know, climate change. And it's just like, oh, is this supposed to be a rally call to like the millennials, like to learn how to go back in time and they go back and fuck up the boomers. <laughs> they fucked up your world. I was like, oh, well done. Okay. <laughs> I liked the idea that you didn't know where the time push it started, right? Because yeah. the, the, the protagonist side split the key up in pieces and then hit it in the past. So is that, why the antagonists changed tack of what they were doing and what they were sending back, like people and resources instead of just sending back chaos. Did that 
is that some older chapter in the war that we don't know about yet? You know, how did that get started? Yeah, yeah like uh, so much of what we've seen, they say you can't change it. It's it's already happened. So yeah, is happened that happen, part of the yeah. original plan anyway? So like, right. I like that they kept bringing that back. It's like that that was a good reminder. What has happened happened. Like I, I thought that was a really good grounding phrase. As frustrating as it can be to hear that, like mm-hmm. like, but I, I felt like there was a good kind of returning theme was that what's happened has happened. So we we got to move forward and figure out what to do now. But and forward yeah. might be backward, but it's still right. forward. Right. <laughs> yeah. I also like that he does mention the sort of multiverse theory. So it's like, you know, look, we're not saying that we exist in a world that is just one timeline and everything's sort of like already played out. But within the level that we have control over, you know, like, yes, we may be creating alternate timelines within a universe, but we don't know about that. But we know about moving through this timeline forward and backwards. So that's what we're going to do, you know. So because I really like that because I like that's one of the things I feel like with time travel where it's like you have to either double down. Like if you go back and change something, you're usually creating an alternate timeline or that always happened, you know, and it's like, you know, this idea of like, um, you know, well, yeah, when we change the past, does it change it? Or was that already destined, you know, and they, how they talk about the whole killing your own grandpa thing, you know, like that idea. So they kind of bring or all becoming that your own grandpa. Right. Oh. <laughs> which, which is what Good the guy news, does everyone. in, in uh, Futurama Rant by uh, uh, Chuck Polinick. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's, there you go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so like, so I like that they kind of at least reference those things as like a possibility, but it's kind of like, you know, like, which, which, which is understandable because it's just like, well, in this world, they, they figured out time travel, you know, which we still haven't figured out. And I feel like, yeah, like mul- traveling through multiple alternate realities, like that's a step beyond time travel. Like, you know, if we're, if we're just working in time travel, you can't expect us to know how to hop from one reality to another, but we're working with what we have, you know, we're trying to stop bad things. And, you know, and, and I feel like, yeah, with it, at least within that little pocket, we, we do see that like, okay, yes, the, the, the future does kind of fold back in on the past and, and affect it. And it hasn't changed. Um, but, but I feel like they leave the door open for, okay, that's just within this little, this little period that happened here. Like, you know, maybe there was a past where none of that did happen, and it's only happening in this timeline because it's been affected by that, you know? Um, Cause I feel like that's, I mean, if you think about like what he was saying, like, yeah, in the future, the world is fucked up because of this generation. So they're coming back to try to fuck us up. And it's just like, well, if nothing can be changed, then why bother doing that? Except that, well, it's already been done. So we had to do it. You know, if they're doing that, they're trying to change what was already done. So there's, there's going to be maybe some chance of changing the past, but maybe, you know, we just, you know, uh, you know, this, this is part of his, his, you know, temporal pincher move, you know? So, so this is all playing out the way it's supposed to, but maybe there are other elements that are not playing out the way they're supposed to. So we don't know that. And yeah, that's another part of it too, where they kind of leave it open. Like I, I doubt he'll do a sequel, but they almost could because it's just like, Oh, this is just one part of this whole thing. And we know that there's this whole, you know, years and years and years of him working on this whole thing. And he hasn't even met Robert Pattinson yet. So like that, that happens at some point in the future, which like, but all you know, of that, that would is be a cool too. to see. He just realizes that everyone he meets does what they're told from anyone else in the organization, because they all assume that everyone else knows everything and, or received orders from someone else. So when he eventually just decides, you know, if I just say I'm the one giving orders, everyone's just going to believe me. <laughs> like, sure, why not? Like, it's it's a real gamble. 
and he's confident, obviously. But hmm. we don't ever see any real, except for a little bit of what Pattinson does, sort of hints at any real proof that he's actually in charge of anything in this organization. So is he himself being manipulated by a larger organization to think he's in charge of some corner of time? Like, it's great. I love that that was left totally unresolved. And just with him going, nah, it's me now, I'm in charge. And that, that was it. You know, there was no, just his own decision. And I like the, how he references when he's talking to the woman in the car when he was like, you and I both work for me. Like he's right. you know, kind of speaking of himself as two yeah. different people. Yeah. Like the me right now, like my boss is my future self. Like I'm still doing whatever <laughs> he's telling me to do. Like, like he, yeah, he's not making decisions in real time. He's doing whatever he, you know, is, you know, whatever, what happened, happened. Yeah. Whatever <laughs> yeah. orders are being sent back from him, he's following them. Yeah. <laughs> I had a similar feeling at the end of this that I did after the end of us, where it was like, it, I, uh, I loved us. Us was terrifying. Um, and what it introduced was such a great world to play in. It was confusing. I didn't understand it, but I was thinking about it for a long time afterwards. And I had a similar feeling about this where it's like, like, like the matrix, like a great playground to think about, okay, how far can this go? Where does it start? How, how far could we follow it? What, what would be interesting within it? Like I, I really really liked it as a thought experiment but it was also again another nice thing to be like okay the end of the movie is not i can put this on a shelf and it doesn't have to it can't hurt me over there for a minute it's just like scary i seriously i was really it was a scary scary kind of concept for me to watch and i think that that may have heightened the exhilaration of it i think that was part of like to see somebody trying to find a way through it was really kind of satisfying and exhilarating really interesting i uh when you said us that (laughs) clicked for me immediately but i hadn't thought of comparing it to us before Mm -hmm. but it's very similar in the sense of like here are these different universes almost right like here are these different timelines um the rules for how those two can kind of collide and interact um i really like that comparison yeah and i hadn't (laughs) hadn't thought of that before um and now i'm thinking of that and all the different things that stem out of that because we watched it with my friend alice and we mm-hmm. came out of it like this is great it's mind-bending and like she's like eh. so it's like she's like died in the wool like horror fan like so i i'm newer to horror and zeke doesn't like the spooky as much he's getting we're we're getting we're, we're bringing him into the fold slowly um but like it, it was really interesting like i i was just so i forgave a lot of what have could have been plot holes or weird things like how does this actually work in that movie because i just loved the world so much it just felt like what an interesting playground like for story to happen and i same with this like it just this could be this mechanic could be used in for another genre of film like if if nolan wanted to introduce this concept with a, a com- different set of characters and a different way of navigating it that would also be really cool to see okay they're sending something else through like why they sent a seed back is it growing in reverse how does like that kind of stuff like i it would be cool to see like how different things react to being turnstiled like and i also again like kind of simplicity just call it a turnstile there's it doesn't have to have some fancy weird name just it's turnstile. Yeah, you went in the one side, you went through the circle and came out the other. 
done. What else is there? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I well, liked kind of even with Tenet, like just that it was a verbal cue. It wasn't anything more significant than that, but it was so much more significant because it was this keyword into this other w- world, which was really cool. And you, like it, it felt very, like, again, like Tinker Taylor meets MIB meets Terminator meets James Bond. Like it was just. It was so cool to see all these influences kind of come together and be used in these different ways and, and to create this really fun play, like uh, sandbox. Does that mean it's time for your favorite segment, Joel? <laughs> sure. We'll put it right here. It is, it is time for another <laughs> situational movie recommendation. I think I need to go into a turnstile and come back and figure one out because I didn't think of one. Well, I've got one. If there I, you go. I don't know if Tim has one. No, I don't. No, Tim okay. never has one. <laughs> well, I mean, this is a little supposed to be, I guess, but what is your favorite movie that has time shenanigans in it? Zeke, why don't you go first? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Every prompt, I get to answer Back to the Future, so Back to the Future. <laughs> thank you, Tim. <laughs> um, I'll think See, on another the- one, but... That's your thing now. Instead of Tim in the Matrix, it's Zeke in Back to the Future. (laughs) Right. Thanks. Yeah. And for, like I said, it works for every prompt. I'm going to keep using it for every prompt. Um, I know I have more, but Back to the Future. (laughs) I really liked Arrival. Arrival's a good one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that they took the set up the obvious path and then turned away from it on purpose. Mm hmm. I still need to watch Arrival. That's been on my to-do list for multiple years now. Um, so I will do that. Yeah, yeah it, that that's that was one that I really enjoyed. I think, have we talked about this before? About time travel? I'm not sure. Um, okay, tomorrow... we, talked about, we, we talked about time loops with uh, Palm Springs. That's what I'm thinking. Right. We were talking about a time loop sure. rather than a time travel problem. I mean, Edge of Tomorrow so, yeah. for time loops, right? Oh, yeah. Right Absolutely. Um, the Terminator is uh, more or less at its heart a time travel movie, is it not? Mm. I think I I don't know if this is a true time traveler, but Donnie Darko. Oh yeah, it's got to be for up sure there for the way it plays with the the merging realities. Um, you reminded me at one point, Tim, about Looper, the way oh, yeah. the alternate reality thing. Looper just it dumps that out the window and I'm like you know what time just corrects itself. No paradox. Too bad. <laughs> everything erases new future and i i loved it it was so simple i was like yes thank you <laughs> like why bother with the other crap just let time go on midnight in paris might be my favorite not time travel movie that's i mean he travels back in time it's the whole, the whole shtick right is that he can at midnight go back in time to the 1920s paris and learn about himself but it's the time travel is almost irrelevant it's not about the past so much as it's about him stepping off to a world that he idealized right and being able to visit it the fact that it's toys paris is just because toys paris is a really cool place to be you know did everybody see a timeline it's like maybe 2011 it was based on a michael crichton book of the same name i really liked the book and then the movie the movie's kind of cheesy it's not great like as kind of crichton adaptations post jurassic park have not been all that great but like it, it was, it was a fun one, and it has a really fun loop, and it, it kind of has cool references and stuff you don't notice. Um, that one's very kind of more fluffy, more kind of I don't know, 
not existential time type travel, more just blockbuster drive time travel. Sure. I I Googled a list here just for fun and uh the butterfly effect. Did any of you see that? I oh know, yeah. Not. It's been a while, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's I keep forgetting about that movie, but then when I'm reminded of it, I go, That was like it feels better than it had any right to be. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I don't yeah. know why. Um and then also on my list is next. The, the Nicholas oh, Cage, Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage one. <laughs> that's a Philip K. Dick story too. Yeah, that's yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's great. Is that the one where, like, at the end, like it was, it was the the whole the whole thing, thing was him yeah, so himself like... within his next thing. Yeah, yeah. Which is like simultaneously genius and terrible at the same time, <laughs> right? Like, what a creative use of your power, but what a waste of time this was. <laughs> like, we were talking about Tarantino earlier, and I think one that uses time you know i know we talked about nolan versus tarantino and how they use time but i think one that stuck out to me uh might be reservoir dogs right because you see like before the heist after the heist um and then you get you know hit with the rest of it later uh so one that play i I, i'll add that to the favorites that play with time um i was also going to say i and i (laughs) This is ironic, but I feel like Groundhog Day because I do feel like we've talked about this before and yeah. I feel like I've mentioned Groundhog Day or we've talked about like a similar-ish question. And so, yeah. again, Groundhog Day is a plug. Mm-hmm. Um, just like a less serious use of playing with time. Um, and I think it can be used for comedy too. We talked about how Us uses like different dimensions, not necessarily time, but different dimensions in horror. Um and then how this one uses time in action, but I think time for comedy can also be really good too. So Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, yeah. time for comedy. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good choice. Also about time is really good. I think I talked about that one previously. Like it's uh, uh, Donald Gleason and it's a romantic comedy, but the, the men in his family can go back oh, in time. Yeah. And it's it's really beautiful. Like I really like it. it there, it's playful. It, it, it's it's very kind of earnest, and it, it's it's great. Like the stakes are very low, but as low as like slice of life stuff is. And I know that's kind of a dirty word in storytelling, but I don't. I never understood why because like it, it it's valuable. It does have value. So like, but it, it's it's is a very cool kind of. The stakes are all human and family and and yeah. like relationships and i i really like that in that regard does eternal sunshine of the spotless mind count Ooh, i like i like that as an analog to yeah essentially they're 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 going back to a time before they met each other and they're in a loop because they keep meeting each other that's i like that a lot yeah a stupider question well, maybe not stupider, but from another list I found, does Planet of the Apes count as a time travel movie? You're goddamn right it does. I mean, yeah, he does way ahead into the future, right? That's, yep. that's sort of yeah. the whole point. Spoiler. Yeah, yeah sure. From 1968. There you go. <laughs> I was just about to watch that. <laughs> I think I, I have a bunch, yeah, because, like, I mean, I, I, I also love Back to the Future, so, I mean, I can't not mention that, you know. Um, I... I do like the Terminator movies, but I don't like how they deal with time. Like I kind of ignore. It's very fair. You know, the whole, like, yeah, like, oh, well, you know, like kind of sending the guy back to impregnate your mother. And like, if you were never, yeah. So that I, I have to ignore <laughs> that whole thing. That's also why I like the second one better. Cause we've kind of moved beyond that to like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, he's already born, whatever. Um, 
I, uh, I, I don't know. I think that Tenet is up there. Like I, I, I love yeah. not only how they deal with time travel, like how, you know, like I said before, it happens in re- real time, but also like all of the cool visual stuff we get because of that. It's not just like, Oh, you went back in time. Okay. You're there. Go about your business, fucking up the past or the future or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. like how you're interacting with the time around you is also part of the, the, the story and part of the visual and part of the journey. So I love that. Um, and then part of the other one, it doesn't deal necessarily with time travel, but it has to deal with seeing into the future is uh paycheck. Oh, where, okay. uh, seen that yeah. One yeah. So it's not, it's you another know, Philip K. Dick story, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that, that I feel like is real cool where, yeah, you're not necessarily moving into the future, but because they saw the future, like knowing the future kind of was able to affect and allow, you know, allow him to manipulate things that are Ooh, minority that are report in that regard. Oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. No, That's also a Philip K. Dick story. Yep. Is an adjustment yeah. bureau too in the same? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. also Philip K. Dick. From all the website lists, I have a source code, the Gyllenhaal movie, which I routinely forget about, mm-hmm. which was fine. I don't. It was good, but I I don't know. I guess that it is where it deserves to be in terms of yeah, that was a good movie that came out when it did, and it's not going on any lists, right? Which makes it sound worse than it is. Um, Pleasantville is on this list. But I don't oh, think I agree with that at all because, I, like, on paper they're going back to this, the fifties, but they're not a fictional that's, world, yeah, right? That's the yeah. whole point. So I don't yeah. know that I agree with that. Yeah, that's not time travel. It's like saying Westworld is time travel, right? Never. I mean, it's in the future, but they, they it's a they stay in the park. future it's the whole not time. Them yeah. traveling through time, yeah. exactly. Yeah, Jurassic Park is time travel, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We brought them here. <laughs> you come to us. <laughs> uh, oh, 12 monkeys. Oh, yeah, yeah, of okay. course. Yeah. We talked about that's, that. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a good one. See, Terry Gilliam made more than just Brazil. I'm talking to myself <laughs> 20 minutes ago. <laughs> he did 12 monkeys, which is based on legete. So he was adapting. Anytime he's adapting anything, it's, it's usually a better <laughs> outing. But yeah, there you go. <laughs> and it's it, this isn't a movie so this is cheating but the um uh um oh don't bring devs into here no 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 uh what's the it's it's the it's the date the one i, I it's the stephen king story that they made into a hulu series 11 22 yeah, yeah. Right. that one yeah which is a series not a not a movie but that's one of my favorite sort of time travel stories like i I love how that's dealt with and the, the, you know, the importance of the event and, and what he's trying to do and how time travel works. You know, the idea that like you can go back and, and through this portal and change something and then come back and see the changes. But if you go back again, it erases everything that you did the first time. So like there is this kind of idea, I guess, of either, either resetting it or you end up in a new timeline and um, just how everything plays out and how in typical Stephen King fashion, there's, all this other sort of interpersonal stuff that happens like around this mission of I'm going to go back and try to prevent the Kennedy assassination. But again, like, I think, yeah, it always brings you back to the same time, which is like, I think a year before the assassination. So he has to like wait around in real time for that to happen, trying to figure out how to stop it. But then in the meantime, he's kind of got to live his life and just live in that time period and everything. And um, yeah, so it was, it was, it was really cool. Like kind of, Live, yeah, living with him through that while he's waiting to do this this mission that he gave himself, and then what happens as a result is also cool. 
Sweet. We can mine a similar topic even deeper the second time. <laughs> yeah. It's a good one, Scott. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Tim, for bringing us Tenet. Yeah, you're welcome. It's fantastic. And happy to have the excuse to watch it again and happy right. to discuss it with all of you. Yeah. Absolutely. And that brings us to next month where our movie selector will be Zeke. Zeke, what will you be bringing for us? Yeah, uh, this one's a long time coming. Um, it's a core part of who I am. We are going back to 2003. We're going to Hell's Kitchen. We're hanging out with J-Lo's ex, and we're watching Daredevil. So, yes. Yeah, yes. very excited yes. for Daredevil. Um, had to do it. Sorry, or you're welcome, or whatever you're feeling. Fantastic. But we're going Daredevil. Nice. All right. Never in a million years would I have predicted that. I'm so happy. I so had to watching... hit you with the lead up. Yeah. <laughs> are we are we doing director's cut or standard? Oh, uh, let's go standard. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't get more Coolio. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm out. <laughs> well, we do get Just to see them. Give bone, me the Coolio cut. <laughs> Oh, they don't. They don't bone in the director's cut. He has to go save someone. <laughs> All right, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! You successfully aroused our excitement, Zeke. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. <laughs> I hope you've aroused the audience's excitement too, because that's I. Yeah, a little less I thought can, in Daredevil than in Tenet, probably, but that's no, fine. But I think it's going to be just as just as great for conversation. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Thank you all for joining me once again, gentlemen. It's always wonderful to see you. As I sort of stumbled through in our intro, really, I, we do get way more out of this stuff when we share it with each other. And I'm very happy to be able to experience this with all of you. Audience, thank you for listening. We hope you'll be back next time and we give you a good ride. Uh, if you really liked our podcast, listen to it backwards. Maybe it's a surprise <laughs> for you. Or not. You won't know until you do it. Until next time, everybody. Good night. Bye. Bye. Hello. Did you know Movie Mumble has its very own Twitter account? Please follow us on Twitter at MovieMumbleNTG and tweet at us with questions, reviews, or recommendations of things you'd like us to watch next.